Hello, my friends. Welcome to the Nugget Climbing Podcast. My guest today is Craig DiMartino. Craig is a climber, a motivational speaker, and a teacher of sorts. I'll talk about that in a second. Craig's life changed dramatically in 2002 when he was in a very severe climbing accident. He took a 100-foot ground fall after some miscommunication with his belayer and broke just about every bone in his body. It's miraculous that he survived. He's made an absolutely remarkable recovery. If you saw Craig on the street today, almost 20 years later, you'd think he looked like a completely normal guy, Uh, but you would notice that he's missing one leg. He ended up having to amputate his right leg below the knee, ironically, so that he could return to climbing and all of the other outdoor activities that he loves to do. And he has. Since his accident, Craig amazingly has gone on to climb harder than ever before. He's the first amputee to climb El Capitan in under 24 hours. He's actually done that twice via the roots Lurking Fear, and he came back and did the nose in a day. He was also the leader of the first all-disabled ascent of El Cap. He's a two-time national paraclimbing champion and a two-time bronze medal winner at the Paraclimbing World Championships. Craig has also gone on to do amazing work in the adaptive space. He works with people who have undergone severe trauma, whether it's injuries, that have left people with disabilities or amputations. Craig works with people like that and gets them climbing and helps them find a new life through climbing or other outdoor activities. It's just amazing what this guy has done and continues to do with his life. Craig is a very vivid storyteller and we talked about all of the gruesome details of his accident. It's fascinating, but be ready for that. You'll be hanging on every word, but you might feel a little nauseous as I did listening to him talk about every step of how the accident unfolded. We take a little while to get to that in this episode. When we started this conversation, we were talking about his kids and them catching the climbing bug. And then about 20 minutes in, we get into Craig's accident and he recalls the whole story. And we talk about his recovery some of his most meaningful experiences climbing since his accident. And we talked a lot about the work that he does in the adaptive space and what the rest of us can take away and learn, hopefully without having to go through a traumatic injury experience like this. Thank you guys for your support and for tuning in. And without further ado, please enjoy this incredibly nail-biting and incredibly inspiring conversation with Craig DiMartino. Have they been there? Have they been to Yosemite? Yeah, they've both been to Yosemite. Okay. I mean, they've climbed there and they, they've, you know, they've seen El Cap, they've like seen me climb on El Cap and they've been like, that's neat, but like, I never want to do that. Uh In fact, our son was like, at one point, this is actually hysterical. We've ruined him. He was probably 12 and he's like, I really want to climb El Cap with you. And I was like, right on. That's awesome. We'll do it. And we took him to Red Rock and we climbed, um, this five pitch thing in Icebox Canyon. And the 
fourth pitch, he kind of looked at me and went, this isn't for me. And I was like, you get used to it. Like you definitely, and he's like, "Mm, no, this isn't for me. And he (laughs) never has gone back from that. Yeah. He's just like, no. Props to him. He's 20? 21 now. 21. Props to him, man. Because I spent a lot of my 20s doing things that I felt like I should want to do. Right. You know, instead of listening to- Yeah. Like I should, I want to be a well-rounded climber. I didn't really think that hard about what that meant to me. I just knew that well-rounded climbers climb in the Alpine and they climb cracks and they do all this stuff. And just in the last couple of years, I'm like, oh, there's, there are these things that I love in climbing. Right. And like, if I were living my best ideal life, I would do way more of that and let these other things go. Right. But it's, it's hard. It's surprisingly hard to own that. And growing up, like in the, in the culture that I grew up in climbing, I've climbed for 32 years, like my whole life. Mm. I was like, you, it was expected of you to do those things. Like you bouldered and you bouldered like a little, that wasn't the thing you did, yeah. right? Like, so you wrote, you, you know, rope climb, trad climb, whatever. Um, and then you ice climb, you do everything. And I thought, oh, you kind of like that mentality of you have to. I really liked them. I dug doing it. So I didn't, didn't ever seem weird to me. But then as I got older, I was like, I don't really like to do those other, like certain things. Hmm. Like, you know, ice climbing, I loved ice climbing when I was young. And then as I got older, I was like, yeah, I'm kind of, over being this scared all the time and it's like ter- terrified every time I do this like why am I doing this um and even like alpine stuff where you're just like ah we could die at any moment like yeah I'm not enjoying this anymore so you know and then getting hurt you're like I don't know I just don't want to get hurt again so you know you're trying to like mitigate that in your brain as well so it's it's interesting like you do feel those pressures but then I think it's it's great when you can say like what he is like I don't want to do that like he's way more interested in single pitch sport climbing than he is yeah you know going on some freaking huge route somewhere but that's cool it sounds like your kids both got the bug and they do they that's do. awesome they do and it's that must feel fun so fun it's fun it's like you <laughs> see them like he i see him more because his our daughter lives in washington um so okay. she's in bellingham and oh, we don't to get to see her as well. oh no way yeah where'd you go to Western, Western oh, Washington. Yeah, that's yeah, where she I lived there she for just five graduated. Years. Yeah, nice. She just finished. Um, so she's working at Taylor Shellfish right now. At Taylor Shellfish. Yeah, that place out on uh, Chuckanuck Road. It's oh like, yeah, they okay. sell oysters. Okay. It's an oyster farm. Um, but now she's taking off. Yeah, she's going to go ski for a year and climb for a year. And she's like, I don't want to think. I just want to be out doing things I like to do. She's got into mountain biking. So yes. yeah, they both do. It's kind of fun to watch them like our son coaches now. So it's fun to watch him like with these kids as he's coaching them. And yeah, it's, it's neat. Like you think like, oh, that'd be cool if they were climbers. And, but you also don't think like, I'm not going to push this on them at all. Yeah. Um, but to watch them really like to do it and love it. It's that's, yeah, it's pretty fun. That's awesome. Sure. Yeah. It does. It seems like having kids would be a roll of the dice. If, oh you're, my God, if yeah. you're committed to not being a pushy parent, you know, and letting them discover and fall in love with what they will discover and fall in love with so. exactly yeah that's exactly. cool at least Jackpot. yeah they, they never yeah when they were younger they like played soccer and i think he might have played lacrosse for a little bit and you're you know you're on the side whatever watch <laughs> and you're just like well this kind of sucks like yeah <laughs> this isn't that fun <laughs> totally i played baseball i played soccer and then baseball and i i don't think i appreciated that at all right until a couple of years ago, yeah, right. like what my parents were going through, you know. Oh, and they they talked right. about it pretty openly. They're like, "We don't love this, you know. <laughs> it's cold. This and is dumb. We're sitting here watching like kids. That's it. It's always chase the ball, freezing. 
you're always shivering. <laughs> like as, you're just like, oh my gosh, I hope yeah. they finish. I mean, yeah, and they seem to enjoy it. I mean, I guess I don't, I don't know that he really enjoyed it. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, thinking about it, I don't know that he did. Um, yeah. Interesting. Anyway, yeah. Yeah. It's just kind of what you have in front of you, right? When you're that age. Yeah. That's what's options. presented, right? Mm -hmm. Like that's what's, um, and even like, as you get older, like you realize like, oh, these sports are not like we do working in the adaptive sport world. Like you, they're given like certain sports when they get injured. Like, so when you're in the hospital, they're like, you should go skiing because that's a thing people without legs do. Mm -hmm. um, and you realize like, oh, okay, I could, I could go do that. But then you do it and you're like, I don't really like this. So are there other sports? Um, and they don't really open those doors for you. So you have to kind of search them out, I think. And mm -hmm. that's how like adaptive climbing was so new to me. There just wasn't that thing. And so you, you can ask and they're like, I don't know. I mean, maybe. <laughs> and now it's way different now, now that you have people out there doing it a lot and doing it at a high level and you just can find it. But like when I got hurt, like they were just like, there's skiing, there's basketball. And I think there was, that was basketball, about it. Huh? Yeah. I don't know why. Yeah. And I'm like, not a ball per If you throw a ball at me, it'll hit me right in the face. It'll just <laughs> like, it's not going to happen. <laughs> it's horrible. Um, you have all the things, basketball with one leg. That's Yeah. That's right? interesting. Like, I don't know. Or like, I guess maybe there's tennis. I was curious about this with, with uh, bouldering, because I know you've come back to some of that. Can you land on your leg? Mm -mm. Well, I mean, yeah, you can. Um, it's not pleasant. Yeah, it's like, because you, it has no shock absorption. So my climbing okay. leg is a straight rod, straight uh, bar, basically, of metal. And then it goes into the climbing foot. The climbing foot has no give. Okay. So when we designed it specifically, like we didn't want it. Like I experimented with lots of different things as far as like what bent and what didn't. And so bending feels like you're on a diving board, it's like when mm. it flexes. And so mine is pretty rigid. And so if I hit it, even if I land on the pad, it's just like a shock going Oof. up. So it's just not very, it, it's almost like I would equate it to landing. Like if you just didn't have your knee bent, that's what yeah, it would feel like. Just straight legged it. Straight legged yeah. just You're like, and then if I miss the pad, uh, that's a junk show. So Oof. that's not, even close to pleasant. Like I try not to, if I do anything high, I try and you know how that is. Like I try to make sure I'm not going to fall. Yeah. Of course that's what everyone says. <laughs> and then they fall. Um, but like I was in Squamish uh, last, not last season, the year before, for COVID. And there's this high ball there. It's not hard. It's, I think it's V3, but at the top, it gets a little slopey. Mm. And I remember being at climbing up it and getting to the top and I was alone and I didn't have a pad because I was like, well, if I fall, it's not, pad's not going to matter anyway. But I got up there and I was like, this is dumb. Like, what are you doing? Like, <laughs> this is dumb. Like, why are you doing this? And um, just thinking like, if I fall, like, what's that going to feel like? And as soon as you start thinking like that, you're kind of screwed. Um, and I just remember thinking, I need to stop. Like, this is dumb. Like, mm -hmm. if I land on this leg, I'm just going to shatter it and break it and i don't want to do that and yeah so it's like i try not to fall um if it's low it's not that bad you okay know? so it's like anyone else especially if i just like land well um, yeah it's just like anyone landing i guess so i don't like to land on that side though i kind of shy over is everything else good like do you have any other fragile points that that you have to kind of guard with I didn't think my foot was fragile until I watched it freaking break in two and this guy just launched me into a wall, whatever, eight weeks ago. That's how oh. I, I just got out of a cast. Oh, so, seriously? Oh, no oh, doubt. Yeah. I'm just wearing shoes now. Like, I feel like a new person. Yeah, I was, I was literally at an adaptive clinic. I had some disabled <laughs> veterans. This is the worst story, too. 
This dude comes you had a up. a broken foot with a cast and then your artificial leg. Oh, it's horrible looking. <laughs> my, my wife is like, you look horrible. She's like, oh my God, people don't even know what to say to you. And I'm like, I know, it's just, this looks terrible. So this dude just, wow. he outweighed me. He came up, I was at a janky climbing wall. I had uh, <laughs> a static line on this. It's 25 feet tall. I had a static line on through quick draws. He came up and he has stroke. So we were, I was going to give him quite a bit of help, which is why the static line is there. So I can kind of really bear into it like a birthday ballet. Mm. And he's climbing up and I was about three feet from the wall and I was le- he was paralyzed on his left side. So I was leaning in to see his feet because I was guiding his feet verbally. And he popped off right at the top. So there wasn't a lot of rope out. Mm. And he outweighed me by probably 200 pounds. And he just, it was almost like a lead fall. Like I almost felt like I jumped, but I didn't. He just uh, plucked me off the ground. Yeah. And all I did was I put my foot up just to stop. I didn't want to smash into the wall. Yeah. And three feet away, he broke my foot in two places. Wow. <laughs> and I heard it when I hit. Oh, man. I heard the brakes and I was like, God damn it. He just broke my foot. And it immediately you heard, heard it. Oh, I heard it. And there was a woman standing. I'm not even kidding you, Steve. Probably 20 yards from me. She's like, oh, it sounded like someone broke a stick. And I was like, that was my foot. <laughs> That was awesome. And I didn't Dude. want him to know I broke it because yeah. so, I didn't want him to know he hurt me because he was really sensitive about his stroke. And so I was yeah. like, motherfucker, oh God. And so oddly enough, there was a chair and I just, he, I was hanging in the air and I reached over and grabbed the chair and pulled it under me. And then I lowered myself and my grigri into the chair. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay, I'm gonna bring you down. And he comes down and he's like, oh my God, that was so fun. And I'm like, yeah, it was awesome. And I'm like, oh my God, my foot hurts so bad. And he's like, can I climb again? And I'm like, yes. <laughs> But I'm going to put you on, there was an auto belayer right to my left. I'm like, I'm just going to put you on the auto belayer so I can see your feet. And he's like, okay, cool. And he goes over and he clips in. And I was kind of at that point sort of standing up and I clipped him in to make sure the beaner was locked. And I was like, okay, everything's good. He climbs and he got really tired and he came down. He's like, thank you so much. We shake hands. I'm sitting. He's not even catching on. I'm just still sitting because I'm like, I can't stand up. And he shakes my hand. He's like, thank you so much. And he leaves. And I just turned around to that woman who said she heard it. And I was like, I gotta go. Like, I just broke my foot. I was in Denver and I was like, she's like, yeah, you definitely broke your foot. So they just packed my crap up for me and- Oh my gosh. Jumped in my van, <laughs> drove up. You drove? I drove, I had, I was, I was like, oh my God, I don't know what to do. And I texted Cindy and I'm like, yeah. I just broke my foot, pretty sure. And she's like, oh my God, are you kidding me? And I said, can you just meet me at the emergency room with my crutches? Because of course I have my own crutches. <laughs> so. Uh, she met me at like eight o'clock at night and they x-rayed it and they're like, yeah, you broke it in two places. You got to go see an orthopedic. So damn, I know I was like, you gotta be, I was so mad. And he still doesn't know. He has no idea. You're such a good guy. No, dude, I'm just sitting there white knuckling it. I was like, oh God, (laughs) please don't, let's not talk about it. And, uh, yeah. yeah, it was, I, and I'll actually see him next Thursday. I'll see him again. He has no idea. You're out of the cast. I'm out. Like it never happened. He's just gonna be like, oh, Craig's here. Yeah, <laughs> but this time I'm like I'm totally like tying myself to the ground with like a hundred pound weight because I'm like not no put a crash pad against the wall. Oh my god, I'm wrap me in bubble wrap. Yeah, so I'm like I'm always thinking about it. Like not always. Like when I'm climbing, I'm like wow. I just don't want to get hurt again. So yeah. I, and I think anyone who goes through any kind of trauma is that same way. They're just like I don't want to break myself again. Um, I talk with people all the time, and they're like, Yeah, it just sucks so bad to be in the hole. You just don't want to come back from that. And so, yeah, that's my mentality is like, how do I, how do I avoid that and still have fun? You yeah. know, like obviously you don't want to be thinking about it. And if I'm climbing, I really don't think about it. Um, you have to take falls, whatever. It doesn't bother me, but it's like 
when you break something again, you're like, oh my God. When you break something again, my gosh. Did you have hardware in your foot? Uh, I have Before hardware that? in the front of my foot and I didn't break it out. Okay. In fact, the, the doctor that I went and saw was the guy. So I just put that hardware in in December. Okay. Um, and I went to see, I go into the orthopedics and he comes in and he's like, oh my gosh, I saw your name on the board. He's like, what the hell? And I take my, I had it in a sock. I take the sock off and he goes, oh, your foot's broke. And I'm like, yeah, I know. <laughs> and he's like, did you mess up the hardware? And he's mad. And I'm like, dude, <laughs> no, I didn't like go out yesterday and go, I'm gonna mess up the, and he x-rayed me what the, the x-ray. I know, what the hell? Dude, that was really good work. And he, he looks at the x-rays, he's like, okay, good. The hardware's fine. And I'm like, you're just happy because I didn't break the hardware. You're not happy because you're okay on that part of your foot. Right. And I was like, dude, really? And he's <laughs> he's hysterical. Um, oh my gosh. Yeah, it was a junk show for a while. I didn't think we were going to get another injury story on this on this podcast. I feel like every time I do a podcast, I just have to do that. Just break something. My palms then... are sweating again, Craig. <laughs> yes. I'm sitting here. This is It's so good to be here with you. I'm so it's happy so good to here. be talking. And I'm sitting here. We've got a spare leg sitting against the wall <laughs> which is apparently totally that normal is, that here is totally normal makes sense there's usually more things body parts laying about there's no yeah a week ago we were going to do this a week ago originally and i was still in estes we'd planned to do this remotely and i was i was sitting in estes i was at the rec center where i go take showers right and i was getting ready for our call or whatever and no this is the day before and i was re-listening to episode 11 of the normal cast yes you know yes. just to just to remind myself of all the things. And of course, I'm like, my palms are sweating for <laughs> two hours listening to you describe this whole thing. And I'm, it was so weird because I'm like looking over and Lumpy Ridge is like right across oh, the yeah. valley. You're, I can see right the whole there. thing. Yeah. I'm like, I, it just hit differently, you know, listening yeah, to it again sure. and being there. For sure. And then you mentioned being in Loveland. And so I texted you, are you still in Loveland? And and now here we are. We That's get to do it. this in yeah. person. And so. it's so much better in person. Yeah. Because there's, yeah, I like the exchanges better. Yeah, um, me too. And it's funny, like I have people come up to me, not weekly, but like pretty almost weekly where they'll listen to that podcast and they're yeah. just like, dude, it just wrecked me. Like they're, yeah. they're like, oh my God, like I can't believe it. And part of me, you kind of, you kind of disassociate with it. Like after a certain amount of time, you're just kind of like, yes, you, that happened. You have to, yeah. You do, exactly. I imagine. But I heard a guy, I was in the gym yesterday. Yesterday was the first day I could put a climbing shoe, on, like a regular climbing shoe on. I was climbing in the boot. Um, not that if my doctor listens to this, up deny this but um because <laughs> he was like you can't climb for i just said it for the podcast yeah he just wanted to be cool um <laughs> but i was climbing in the cast and it was that's ridiculous as, as sounds but like um yesterday i finally got my shaman on again and i was like oh my god this feels so amazing it like hurts but like you're like i can actually use my toes again yeah and i i heard this person uh, who i know this guy but he was talking to this other person and he was telling them about me getting hurt and I heard him talking about Lumpy Ridge and I'm like, oh, I know exactly what he's saying right now. And um, he was like, he was on White Man, blah, blah, blah. He's talking about your- He's talking about me you, getting hurt. Without knowing that you're there. Right. Well, no, he saw me. And I oh, think okay. the guy asked something and okay. this okay. person then kind of was telling him. And I was like, and I hadn't heard the name White Man in quite some time. Mm. And I was like, oh yeah, that's right. That's, uh, you, you, so your brain kind of like disengages and then re-engages with the event. And mm. you're like, oh yeah, that's, I was on White Man, blah, blah, blah. And so your brain kind of goes and visits it again, but like you don't do it you kind of disassociate, you kind of walk away from the uh, the event as this is an event and now I'm moving away from it. And the further, yeah. further you get from it, obviously, the less you think about it. Because um, people always email me on the anniversary of it, which is funny to me, like they remember it more than I do. Huh. Because I forget, it's like it happened in July, right? And okay. so 
I know when it happened, obviously I was there, um, but you, you kind of, you, you move past, right? It's just a catalyst for change and that's how I always wanted it to be. And, but people will remember and it's, it's fun. It's cool. Like I get messages from people like, Hey, happy anniversary or what do they call it? Life anniversary or something like that. <laughs> Life day, something. My friend, Timmy O'Neill will, you know, he'll remember. It's just kind of fun, right? Yeah. It's neat to, to see people's recollection of things happy you're miraculously still alive exactly day. exactly <laughs> yeah and, you that's know cool. and you appreciate that and i appreciate it and it's wonderful so yeah. yeah it's neat well that episode is the stuff of legend Ooh, i don't know about that <laughs> it is man and chris glues routinely jokes about that how he he says the the normal cast you know he's done 200 plus episodes now right. and he's like it peaked at number 11 <laughs> and listening to it again it's so good i mean good is not even the right word because it's like horrifying yeah. stressful, yeah. fascinating, all the things. Anyway, people that want to hear you recount your accident shortly after it happened should just go listen to that and I'll For link sure. to it. But I have to assume people haven't heard it. Some of the people listening to this haven't heard it. I'm sure. I'm going to make you recount some of it. Oh, totally. Could you give us the like the background of the accident and kind of the, the quick overview of the facts version? Yeah. Um, and then I'd love to move forward into what's it's that was seven years ago that you recorded that, I think. So, yeah, it's a, been a, it's been a minute. A lot um, to talk about. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. We, I was climbing. Um, I moved out here to climb um, to Colorado to climb more. Um, I started in Pennsylvania, and so we. I'd been climbing about thirteen or fourteen years, and we were living here in Loveland, and our kids were really young. So my wife and I would kind of trade back and forth, like who would you know? We would just go out for the day. So a buddy of mine who I climbed with all the time, Steve Gorm, and I went up to Lumpy Ridge. Um, it was a really bad fire year. <laughs> They're all bad fire years now, but like that was a weird smoky one. And so we were going to go to this, uh, we were going to go to the monastery, but it was really smoky in Estes. And so the smoke was kind of blowing away from the high peaks. And so we kind of went over to Lumpy because it was kind of going right down the canyon. Mm. It looked more clear, went out. Um, and he wanted to go out to Sundance and he had climbed white man the year before he had top roped it. And he just said, I had never heard of the route. And he's like, it's really cool. It's this cool like neat kind of semi corner system. Um, and he's like, we'll do the first pitch, but I don't want to lead it. You know, if you want to lead it, that'd be cool. And we could check it out. So we walked out there, uh, tied in and kind of normal. Everything was very normal actually. Um, Kind of the only thing I always remember this, like I felt more nervous than usual. And I don't know if that was just morning nerves or whatever. Sometimes mm. I get that um, tied in. That's so weird and ominous. It is. It, it is. <laughs> and, I, and I think about that, like, why didn't I listen to it? And I'm like, because you never listen to You're it. Right. Like, right. Like, you never do that. Like to, The rest of the you, time, it's fine. Right. And you'd you walk away off. from almost every climb, right? You'd right. be like, well, I can't do that. So you shake it off, you climb, and it's usually no problem. Um, yeah. If you're like, I'm feeling kind of nervous. I think I'm going to just sit here today and belay you. Right. That'd be weird. That'd be really weird. Yeah. And you would, you'd probably do that 50% of the time. So you're like, oh, that's <laughs> kind of dumb. Yeah. Um, and like you just said, like most of the time it's fine. You shake it off. You're like, oh yeah, that's whatever. First root nerves. Um, and he, I think I even said that to him and he was like, well, we're just going to, we're going to top rope lap it anyway. So just like, we'll just do that. So in my brain, I was like, okay, I'm going to go up there. There's an anchor. I'm going to come back down. We're going to belay each other and just do it. It'll be fine. Um, yeah. Do some miles on it. So I climbed the pitch. It's it's 100 feet. I know that now. Um, 
And it's, it is this like weird, you have to kind of tinker the gear in. It's not like straightforward crack climbing. It's like a little bit weird off fingers and then weird flaring stuff. So it took me, I don't know, 20 minutes to climb that hundred feet or so to kind of stinking around with gear, get up there. I even know how many pieces I had in I had 15 pieces in. Um, so I wasn't even running stuff out. I was like protecting it as I normally would. Um, got up to an anchor. There's a three bolt anchor there stepped onto a ledge. It's a small ledge. It's about six inches wide and it's about, I don't know, two or three feet long, clipped in direct, yelled down to Steve that I was off belay. And he said, great. He took me off belay. And what I didn't realize was when he took me off belay, he walked away, went over to, he had dropped his backpack. So he walked over to his backpack to get his shoes out. You know, he's just getting mm -hmm. ready to climb. And so I was thinking, okay, he's going to now lower me to the ground um, yeah. all the way down. And so, what was he thinking? Was he was he thinking I was gonna, he was going to climb up, and we were going to wrap off together. Got it. And then we were going to top rope from the ground. Okay. We just never clarified that, and that's like the big. Everyone always asks, like, how did that happen? And that's the miscommunication. It was mm. that small of a. I heard top rope. He heard top rope. He was just thinking of something different. Mm. That's all. Um, and so, I what I tell people now is, oh my god, just over communicate. Just like. When I'm climbing with anyone other than my wife, I I just, and even with my wife, I'll say, you know, what are we doing here? Like if I just want to make sure now, because I've seen what happens. And so we didn't clarify that. So Steve was putting his shoes on. What I did was I set it up for a top rope. I ran it through two carabiners. Um, one was locking, one was non, um, yellow quick draws. Still remember that exactly <laughs> to, in my brain. Um, <laughs> And what I, when I reached out, I reached out to the, to my, the route was on my right. And so I reached and I pulled on the rope and I felt all this tension. And what it really was, was tension of a hundred feet of rope hanging down, straight mm. down. And I felt the weight of that. Um, not think, I didn't really like tug on it. I just kind of gave it a little pull. So I felt resistance and I was like, okay, that's Steve. So I yelled down, okay, all you. And he heard, okay, all you thinking, okay, Craig's gonna pull the rope up and bring me up to the ledge. And he yelled up, okay, you're good. Thinking, okay, I'm. he was ready to come over. Um, he was still tied in. He was ready to come over. And uh, I heard that and I just like, okay, he's ready to lower me. So I thought he still had me on belay at some, like I just thought there was like a loop or whatever, you know, walk over, get your shoes out, but you still keep the blade device on you. Yeah. And so I pulled in, unclipped and just sat. Ugh. And yeah, and I just started going and I started falling just like in a regular seated position. So I was watching the anchor go away. And that's why I remember the yellow draws really vividly. Can you still picture this? Uh, completely. Like in my brain right now, it's like as crystal clear as, as your face is to me. Wow. And as I was leaving the, the ledge, you know, I watched my feet come off and I was like, oh, he has a big loop of slack out. And I thought it's just gonna stop me here in a minute. It didn't. And I thought, okay, maybe he fell. Like your, your brain moves really quickly when these things happen. Like everyone talks about slow motion. Yeah. And for me, it wasn't slow motion. It was like very fast. Everything was quick. And I thought, okay, he fell, he's being moved. It's going to stop. Then that didn't happen. And so my next reaction was I'm, I'm going like far. So I need to, what was below me? And I couldn't remember if there were ledges. And so I, kind of had my hands in front of me still. Cause when I let go of the anchor, I kind of just moved my arms out Yeah. and I started to go and I grabbed the rope like in front of me, like if you're being lowered, you know, Okay. And yeah. I think that was like a panic thing. And then I thought, oh crap, I'm not stopping. So I pushed and I wanted to see, I, I vaguely remembered like a ledge somewhere and I couldn't 
in my brain think where that was. And so when I pushed, I looked and I looked down, there was nothing there as far as a ledge goes, but what I that did was it actually tipped me over. I started falling sideways. So I, I fell like 80 feet sideways. And um, at that point, there was a tree that I had walked around at the base. It was a dead pine tree leaning against the cliff. Walked around it to start the route. I hit that tree. And that tree was probably 20 feet tall, something like that. And it smacked me back up into a standing orientation. So had I landed laying sideways, you just pretty much die instantly because you had injuries and yeah. internal injuries and all that stuff. And when it stood me back up, I landed standing. So I landed kind of like leaning slightly right. Um, I know that now because of the injuries and are mostly on my were mostly on my right side. Mm. Um, and the shock wave then can go somewhere. So I hit my and my heels, my calcaneus, which is your heel, your talus, which is attached to the top of your heel, my tibia and my fibular compound fractured out of both legs. So my legs just kind of exploded. And then the shockwave kept going up. And this is where Calus was just like, I'm gonna puke. Um, the shockwave has to go somewhere, right? So you, and it breaks your body when it does that. And so it went up into my spine and collapsed my back and compound, or burst fractured my back at L2. So it's kind of right through your belly button. Burst Smashed fractured. down. Yeah, so it's, oh it's exactly what it sounds like. It, it explodes, <laughs> yeah. right? It just powders and goes everywhere. Um, and that all sprayed onto my spinal canal. So when you do that, then you have paralysis. Any, anything that touches your spinal cord is paralysis in some form. And then it kept going. It broke my ribs on the right side. It punctured my lung on the right side. And I must have had my arm like down like slightly behind me and it jammed my arm up. And so I tore my labrum in my shoulder as well as some uh, cartilage and tendons in the back of my shoulder. I, I think I just like high centered it up. Um, and then kept going, broke my neck at C5, C6, which is kind of your Adam's apple right here. Um, cracked those right through the middle. <laughs> and then I just dropped and fell over onto the ground and was just in a heap at the, the base. And Steve, he heard me coming down. Like he knew I was falling. He was like, oh shit. And he ran over when I hit and he kind of, I was, uh, I was on my back. And so I was on my back and he was like, just trying to assess what happened and I severed the artery in my right leg. And so I was bleeding really badly. And mm. it was like, there was this blood just pumping out of your leg uh, from the, the compound fracture. He's like, I could see the bones. And he's like, I knew, oh shit, like he's gonna keep bleeding and we have to stop that. So he was uh, present enough to put a tourniquet on my leg quickly, um, which that probably saved my life uh, in retrospect as I thought that through. And then he pulled me down. He, I, I said, the only thing I felt was, it felt like I had a rock in my back like a pointy rock in my back okay and i said to him can you get the rock out of my back and he was like i figured you were so messed up he's like moving him is not gonna fucking matter at this point so yeah. <laughs> he kind of pulled me down i was on the talus blocks um and he pulled me into like a dirt patch and kind of said settled me in like with a backpack and we started to talk about like okay we're four miles in the back you're talking about this. Yeah, we're talking. We had a conversation about what do we do, and wow. um, and he's just like, I got to go to town. Like, I got to run. And go. Yeah. And so it took us about forty-five minutes to get out there, and um, I was like, Yeah, that's. I'm not going anywhere. So <laughs> I'm not gonna walk out with you. So you go ahead, take my keys. He took my truck keys, and um, he just made. He kind of stuffed backpacks in so I couldn't move and roll, mm. and he just took off. And then he came right back, and he was like, Dude, I have a cell phone. Which mm. in 02, I don't think oh, I had 2002. it. 2002. Yeah. Okay. I, maybe I had a cell phone. I didn't have it with me. Um, and he 
pulled it out. He had a signal right next to the lumpy, um, which is freaky to me. And he was able to call 911, which is that also the the immediacy that they showed up blows me away mm. um, because he called them. I fell at 2.30. He called them. Eric Gabriel, who is the head ranger, is a climber. And he was like, where are you? What climb are you at? And he's like, I'm, we're at the base of White Man. He's like, don't move. I know right where you are. And so Eric actually knew exactly how to get there. He shortcutted uh, in a Jeep and they had access to a McGregor Ranch up there. And okay. So he just beelined it. So he was literally by my side uh, by like 3.15. So 45 minutes after wow. I hit the ground, I had a first responder there. Wow. So he kind of... He kind of like got things sorted out uh, as far as like, okay, here we have to get him out of here. We have to get him on a helicopter. And so he orchestrated the, the search and rescue people to get in there. Um, that took about five hours to get me down um, to where they could land a chopper. Um, and in that time, he, you know, he's, oh, he, and he, he's like, dude, I can't give you any meds. He's like, your, your lungs are punctured, I think. And he's mm. like, you're, I was having trouble breathing. And he's like, if we do that, it's going to slow your breathing down more. So mm. he's like, we're, we're just gonna get out of here as fast as we can. So in the gurney, you know, lowering down and then put a are, wheel are on the gurney. Are you lucid? Are you like an excruciating pain? Is you, it just adrenaline? A lot like, of pain, a lot of pain, but centralized pain. Like I didn't know my feet were broken. Okay. Um, and they don't tell you anything. They're just like, yeah, we're gonna just take care of you at this point. Like, don't worry about it. We got you. Yeah. Make you feel very calm and on that side. Like, okay, these guys know what they're doing. This is cool, but yeah. like, you, the pain is like waves of pain. It's like not, this, it's not always the same. It's like kind of comes and goes. Mm. As soon as they jostle the, the litter, you feel more pain, but it was mostly in my back. It just felt like I had something jammed in my spine and it, it's because my back was broke, um, but you don't know <laughs> you that. You exploded yeah, vertebrae. Yeah, exactly. It's like, oh, that's Jeez. uncomfortable. Um, so you're just, yeah, you're in this like a buttload of pain, but you're just, you're also very confused because you don't know what happened. Like yeah. I, I, I did not know how I got on the ground. I and probably for shoot two weeks I didn't know. I, I had no idea how that happened because they. Whoa. You you you're so like your brain just can't catch up. It's just your your brain's just kind of like, wow, we're just dealing with this pain right now. So like mm. whatever, however we got here, we don't really know. We'll deal with that later. And um, the only thing that I thought was odd was Eric asked me about calling Cindy. And the first time he asked me, I was like, no, nah, I don't, I definitely don't want to call my wife right now. Like, let's just, we'll all do this. Then we'll talk to her because she's going to be worried. And then he came like, however, a bunch of time went by and he came back again. He was like, hey man, like we're making good progress, but what do you think about calling Cindy? And I was like, I wonder why he's at, like my brain somewhere went, he asked twice, like why? That's mm. weird. And uh, so then I was like, yeah, go ahead and call her. And so Steve called her. And he just told her I broke my ankles. He didn't tell her anything else. Um, and he's like, they're carrying him out. And she was like, oh shit. So she jumped in the car. A friend came and watched our kids. She beelined it up there and she ran in and she met us um, somewhere on the trail. I don't know where. She was just all of a sudden in my peripheral vision hmm. saying, hey, it's cool. And then your brain is also like, why is she here? Like, that's weird. Like, you're, you're not just like, you're just not catching up. You know? yeah. you're, just, you're behind everything. Yeah. And they got me to a helicopter. And again, I had no idea my feet were broken, but when they when they pulled me up into the helicopter, they slide you in and there's a bulkhead. And they had, my feet weren't immobilized. My feet were just kind of up. Um, Cause when I hit, I actually exploded my climbing shoes. Like the, it looked like, I always say it looked like um, those old bug uh, Roadrunner cartoons where they, they blow up and they're like, shit just hangs off them. That's what my feet <laughs> looked like. And I'm like, oh, that must have looked so bad, so bad. So bones and like, when they put me in the helicopter, they they hit my feet on the bulkhead. 
that was when I knew my feet were messed up because oh. I was just like, oh my God, it, it hurts so bad. I just remember screaming at the top of my lungs. And the flight nurse, who was my hero, um, he just looked at me and he's like, okay, I'm going to give you something. And mm. he gave me some, I don't know what he gave me, but uh, that's the last thing I remember. And mm. then I woke up, what, 24 hours later in ICU with a ventilator in and tied down, like no idea what happened. When you come out of it, you're in that fog you're in, they put you in that coma and then they bring you out slowly. You have no, I had no idea what was going on. I opened my eyes and the doctor was there and he's speaking really calm, like, <laughs> hey, you're in the ICU, you have a ventilator in, so don't even try to talk. Um, you were in a bad accident. And I'm like, okay. And then you're like, what the hell's going on? Like you, you're not in pain really, cause you're so drugged and you're in a fog. And he was speaking to me and then he was gone. And I remember thinking, I, I told Cindy, it was so vivid. I thought he could read my mind. Okay. And I was like, oh God, he knows what I'm thinking. And in my brain, the only thing I could think of is he looked like this one actor I remembered. And I was like, oh God, he thinks I'm so weird. He's like, he thinks I think that. He didn't. <laughs> Clearly, Couldn't he read your was mind. just, yeah, he was just like, wow, these dudes wrecked. And so he left. And I stayed like that for five days on a ventilator. And they were just wow. trying to like get it under control. They would come in and clean my feet um, every day. I like deep read it, they call. They'd go and kind of take out the bone fragments. Um, around the read it. Yeah, they get, they take out, they pick out the bone pieces. Oh um, they do it a little at a time because it's too painful. So they sedate you pretty heavily and then they would come in and, and they basically scrub your wound and mm. try to get all the crap out of it so that it'll heal better. Um, and my right leg was much worse than my, my, not much. It was the calcaneus was so disintegrated. I, they, he equated it to mashed potatoes. He's like, your, your foot kind of looks like mashed potatoes back what there. What is the calcaneus? Your heel. Okay. So if you picture your heel bone, it's like this really nice round, hard bone. Mine was just like this gob of mashed potatoes. And oh. my, my tibia came down and just like sort of attached. And he was like, those are really hard to heal. So he's like, we're gonna see what we can do with that. Um, my left side was, it was broken, but it wasn't so powdered. So the left one, they put a bunch of hardware in and they just kind of left that alone. And at five days, they took the ventilator out so I could speak. And then you can ask questions. So then you're like, and you, again, you don't, I didn't know how badly I was hurt, but then all of a sudden my parents showed up mm. and they don't, they live in Delaware. <laughs> and I'm like, huh. what are you doing here? You know, like, and then my brother shows up and I'm like, what the hell is like wow. happening? And I remember thinking that's probably not good. Like when you start seeing parents and family, you're like, shit something's wrong yeah um so then they they moved you to moved me to orthopedic care um for two weeks um kind of do a bunch of surgeries and just try to get you like sitting up and talking and that's when i learned how bad my back was broken and they ended up fusing my back so my i'm fused at l1 through four so it's like about four inches at your belly button up mm. and then they fuse c5 c6 and everything else they just put you on a brace and they just kind of go good luck, you know, like heal at this point. Mm. And so uh, went into a assisted living home, which was the just one of the lowest points of my life. It was horrible. Because um, you're in there with most of the, the people living there are like at the end of their life, right? And so you're there as this uh, 20, 30 year old person, like trying to just survive. And how old were you at the time? I think I was 31. Okay. Yeah, uh, ish. God, that's math. Um, 
but everyone there is like 80, right? right. Or, or whatever, older. And um, they would come in and I couldn't, uh, it was weird to me. I couldn't eat in the, like the dining hall. It mm. just freaked me out. Um, Cause I'd go down there and they're like, you're just watching these people just die or they're on their lap. And you're yeah. just like, shit, I don't want to be here. Like this is, I can't do this. And so I would eat in my room. I would kind of isolate myself. Um, and Cindy understood. She's like, I get it. She's like, it is a little weird down there. Totally. Um, so then like they would come to my room and they would like roll in in their wheelchair, you know, and they would all talk, like try to make conversations with you. And you're just, you're trying to like be cordial, but then you're also in like just gobs of pain. And yeah. you're just like, so your patients are really short and they're asking you stupid questions. Like, why are you here? And what are you doing? And uh, I'm dying. And are you dying? And you're just like, <laughs> oh my God, I can't do this. And so I stayed there for two months, which was just- wow. an, felt like a lifetime to me. It was, I just wanted to be out of there so bad. I just wanted to leave and they won't, you know, you can't, you just can't. And once I got to two months, I could, um, at that point, so I couldn't walk for over a month and didn't think I would walk again. And they kept doing surgeries and doing these treatments to try to sort that out. But, um, finally could walk again. And then you're like, okay, I'm, I can be free now. I can leave. And they're like, eh, not yet. Um, Cause you're still like, because of all that stuff went into my spinal cord, they're trying to just sort out. Like I have a lot of paralysis. Like basically I'm, uh, I can't feel anything from like my mid, like this hemisphere back. So anything behind me, okay. so you can like stab me in the butt with a pin and I won't feel it. Huh. Same with my legs. I can't feel my legs. I can't feel my foot. The one I broke, just broke. Um, I can feel internal, which is so shitty. <laughs> so, <laughs> so you break a bone and you can feel that, but you can't feel the skin on the outside. So it's like, oh. that's lovely. Um, and I like that the other way around. Uh, but yeah, so I can't, that paralysis, they're just trying to sort that out. Like, okay, what does that do to your internal organs? Like your lungs, mm -hmm. your bladder, your liver, your kidneys, all that's affected by that stuff. Wow. So you, yeah. you have to like sort it out. Like, okay, what do you, how do you deal with that? Like, how do you take medications? Do you help it comes back? You have like a 18 month window where nerves can redirect. So anything that is gone, that's your window of time. Hmm. That's not saying people don't get feeling back 20 years later, cause they do. Mostly they don't. Like I've, my, okay. my paralysis has been the same now since I got hurt. You know, I just know that's what it's like. Um, so you, once they get that kind of like figured out, that's when you go home. So then they're like, okay, you're, you, you can live on your own now. So um, they sent me home. And when they send you home, man, it's like kind of depressing because you just, you leave, that's it. Mm. You just go and that's, you check back in with them, whatever, once a month and you're just dealing with the carnage um, mm. that just happened to you. So, wow, yeah, fun. Dude, I'm sitting here just, I mean, my palms are sweating again, <laughs> but I'm also just like to, to have this conversation and hear you describe this and be looking at you. Like the human body is fucking amazing. It's incredible. Man. Like you look, I mean, you're missing part of a leg. Right. But you look completely normal. Right. You're healthy. You're fit. You're it's climbing weird. hard again. It's weird. It's what your body can what your body can withstand is insane. It's yeah. it it is a machine like no other machine. It's incredible. It can the fact that it can heal itself, that's yeah. fucking mind-blowing. And when you think like you cut your arm, it heals. Yeah, that's cool. But like when you start thinking about like bones and nerves and like systems of your body that just get destroyed and can regenerate, it's like, holy shit, like that is insane to me. So wow. I'm constantly in awe of it. Like I'm just, 
blown away by it. Yeah, it's pretty weird. I think I want to ask you, I want to read a quote actually from you from that Enormocast interview oh God. and ask you, a, <laughs> ask you a question about it. But the thing that stood out to me the most listening to it again, because I, I had remembered your accident. I remembered more or less the arc of the story and mm -hmm. what happened. But I think it's just what happens in movies, you know, like completely uh, skewed my perception of what happens when someone gets seriously injured. And I've never been through something like that. I've never been up close to someone else going through something like that. And the movies paint this picture of like, you have the fall or the nasty car accident or whatever happens, you wake up all bleary eyed in the hospital and, you know, you've been out and you have to like nurse yourself back to health, but they've already fixed everything. Oh yeah. You know what I mean? Like right. they, totally. you're out and then they do all the surgeries and fix everything. Yeah. And then now you get better. Now you, you're, you're already on your recovery totally. journey and listening to your story in the number of surgeries that you had to have after you were, you know, better, better air quotes Fixed or whatever. Yeah. And then the leg, like, yeah, I forgot that that came later. So I'm going to read this quote because it's, the most mind-blowing sentence I've ever heard anyone utter. <laughs> and he said, I just remember thinking, well, I need to freaking do something. And so I was like, you know, fuck it. I'm going to cut my leg off and see what happens. Wow. I'm, I'm, a, I'm, I'm super like, I like when, aren't I? <laughs> That's horrible. But like, but that was the truth. What, it's like hard to imagine a context in which that sentence is normal. Is normal, And right. it totally makes sense hearing you describe it. So can you add some color around that quote and the leg? Yeah, I got, I mean, so 18 months went by. So I was, I was home. I was sort of experimenting with climbing because I wanted to climb again, but I just was like, my body's so messed up. Like, I don't know what's working. And I was still wearing a, a walking cast, um, that my foot was super swollen and misshapen and I couldn't feel it. And I was like, this is getting ridiculous. Like, so I went into my orthopedic and I'm like, okay, what, like, what can we do? And he was like, well, you're 11 surgeries in dude. Like what? He didn't say, dude, they don't say dude, <laughs> but he's like, he's like, what do you want? Like they say it with their eyes. Yeah, they do. He's <laughs> like, wake up. Um, he's just like, what do you think's going to happen? And I'm like, I think it would be better. And he's like, it's not. He's like, that's as much as we can do. You've got plates in there, screws. It looks like mashed potatoes on a stick. He's like, that's it, man. He's like, there's not really anything else that's going to happen. So I started looking around and talking with um, mostly athletes who were like in, in skiing, <laughs> they're skiing again, who had lost their leg and have come back and like, we're operating at a pretty, what I would consider a high level of athleticism. Mm. And I thought, okay, what did they do? Like, why did they do that? And they were like, yeah, I cut my leg off. And I was like, oh shit, like, no, I don't want to do that. And then you start to like, think about it. And you're like, well, if I don't do it, this is it. Like, this is what I'm going to do. And so now at this point I'm 32 and I'm like, shit, like I can't climb, can't bike, can't ski. Mm. My, I can't really even do anything with my kids. Cause because my legs are right jacked leg. up. Yeah. So like, I'm never, my balance was for shit. And so I'm like, this is ridiculous. So like, yeah, fuck it. I'm going to cut my leg off and see if I can get that quality of life back. And <laughs> that's really what it was. It was just an idea of like, this is something I get to choose finally, instead of like the accident being like, well, here's your next piece of shit that you're going to have to deal with the rest of your life. It was me saying, okay, you know what? I'm going to do this big thing, but the hope is I get this quality of life back that I had before, which was climbing and being out with my family and friends and and traveling and doing these things that I love. Mm. 
couldn't do that with what I had. So it was once I got my head there, then I was like, yeah, this is, this is totally fine. This is going to be fine. Mm. Um, now when I woke up, so everyone warned me like, okay, when you wake up, it's a really big shock because your leg's gone. And I'm like, well, yeah, I know. Like, <laughs> I literally know that. Like, They're like, no, 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 yeah, no. Yeah, they, yeah. They were like, no, it's not like what you think. And I'm like, oh, and I'm pretty sure it's not there, right? And they're like, it's fucked up. Like, get ready. And I'm like, okay, whatever. Um, so I go in and I was like, okay, I'm ready to do this. Talk to my surgeon. And he was like, yeah, you're, he's like, you're doing the right thing. He's like, you're, you're good. Don't worry about it. Hmm. And went to the hospital that morning. They give you these really like jokingly small, drugs to take to calm you down. You have to be there like five in the morning, 5.30 in the morning. So, and not, you don't sleep the night before, like, I got a great night's rest, I'm ready to go. <laughs> I mean, you're just scared out of your mind, right? Like you, you, to get your head around, like, I'm gonna cut off a major limb today. It's yeah. just like otherworldly. It's, it's I can't even express what that how, is. How conflicted were you? Like, give me the percentage. Were you 60, 40, like 90, 10? I was probably 70 30 okay 70 was a good idea 30 was a bad idea that's a loud voice in your that's head that's a loud it's 30 percent screaming yeah. at you and <laughs> you're driving there and this is the shittiest oh, thing driving there my foot didn't hurt at all because you had, had you'd had nerve pain right i had Wasn't... nerve really bad nerve i have okay. this disease called rsd which is reflective sympathetic dystrophy and driving there that wasn't firing my bones didn't hurt and i'm like in the car with cindy and i'm like oh my god like I feel actually pretty good today. Like, fuck. But I guess I'm committed. And so you're driving there and she's driving, obviously, because I'm on like some drugs and I'm, we get to the hospital. And I was like, God, still not hurting. And we walk in, I lay down on the gurney and, you know, they put you in the gown and you have to mark your leg. I, I talked to Chris about this. You have to put an X on your leg because of liability. So they cut the right leg off. And oh, can um, you imagine? it's so freaking crazy. And they I shaved my leg the night before, which I had never done before. And so the lady comes in with the marker and she's like, just go ahead and put an X on the leg we're going to work on. Um, which is funny. She didn't say cut off. She said work on. Mm. I just thought of that when I said that. Um, <laughs> I guess you don't want to say that. The thing we're going to lop off. Um, so I put an X on it. And then the, uh, the surgery nurse came over and she was like, who shaved your leg? And I was like, I did. And she was like, you, you missed a lot. And I'm like... <laughs> hey like a lot on my First mind time. like oh my god like so she shaved my leg again and as i was laying there i i had an iv in but i didn't have any meds like to go into surgery yet so i just was like i was mellow like they give you like valium or whatever something mm. like that so i was mellow but i wasn't like out yet and um i was laying there thinking my leg doesn't hurt like i don't think i'm gonna do this like i literally thought that and cindy wow. was on my right there was an, I can vividly picture this. Cindy was right here. Nurse was on my left side at my feet. And I was laying there and I was like, I'm gonna go. Like, this isn't, this is no longer a good idea. And as I was thinking that I looked up and my doctor came in right then. And he looked at me and he put his hands on my shoulders and he's like, you're doing the right thing. He's like, your leg's not gonna heal. Mm. You're doing the right thing. And I just remember thinking, okay, I needed to hear that. That's the universe saying, hey, it's cool. Just mm. like. We're good. And uh, at that point they gave me something and it knocked me out and I don't, that's it. Like, that's the last thing I remember. But then I woke up in recovery and I, the first thing that snapped in my mind was your leg's gone. And I looked down and I was like, oh, my leg's gone. Yeah. And nothing hurt, nothing hurt at all. Like wow. my body felt great. And then the doctor came in and he was like, how do you feel? And I'm like, I feel great. Like my leg doesn't hurt. And he goes, 
well, you have a nerve block in. And I was like, oh, what is that? And he was like, you're numb from like basically your <laughs> chest down, dude. He's like, yeah, you don't feel anything because you're numb. And I'm like, oh, well, this feels great. And he's like, that's going to wear off just so you know. And I'm like, all right, yeah, cool, whatever. And he was like, what do you, how do you feel? And I'm like, I feel great. Like I can go home. And he goes, yeah, you can't go home. Like we're going to put you up in a room. And I'm like, no, really, I think I could go. I'm ready. And Cindy's like, we'll, we'll stay. We'll stay the night. Uh -huh. And so they took me up to the room and I was like, God, I felt awesome. I think I even watched TV. I was like, that's fucking great. I should have done this a long time ago. Around. I, I hate to, I don't want to make you lose your train of thought. But yeah. How long had it been since you just felt good? Oh, had, for had you 18 felt, months. You hadn't felt good since the I accident. felt like shit every day. Yeah. Wow. I felt like shit. Like everything hurt. And I was like, I felt, you're on wow. such great painkillers. And I'm like, Holy shit, I felt awesome. I, my back didn't hurt. Like my neck didn't hurt. My nothing, my other foot didn't hurt. I lay down in the bed. I'm like, this is amazing. Like people should do this all the time, right? You should be on these drugs every day. <laughs> and he, I was so excited. And then around, I don't know, 11 o'clock that night, the the spinal starts to wear off. And I'm like, oh, that that leg's tender. Oh <laughs> shit. And, um, and then it was just like somebody f took... The best way I can explain it is it felt like somebody ha was hammering a spike into the bottom of my leg <sighs> and it was like relentless. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm dying. And they just kept giving me morphine over and over. And they got to a point where they put it in a bag and it's an IV bag and they shoot it into the bag and they can only do a certain amount every hour. And they got to this point where they're like, that's it. Like, we can't give you more. You're just, it'll, you'll stop breathing. And I'm like, wow. dude, this isn't even touching this. It's, I'm fucking dying. And uh, so Cindy's like, we have to do something else. And so uh, I, I was puking from it hurting so bad. So they finally got uh, the anesthesiologist came back at like three in the morning. And he's like, okay, we're going to give you another spinal and we'll wean you out of it. And he, <laughs> I remember I was hurting so much. I was in a fetal position and he goes, hey, look, I gotta let you know that there's a chance I could paralyze you. He's like, I'm like, fucking do it. Like, <laughs> fine. Like, will it stop hurting? Just, just do it. And uh, he sticks, wow. he stick, it was instant relief. He like stuck me and all of a sudden, boom, I was like human again. Wow. And he's like, okay, so we won't do it that way. Like what they do is they give it to you and then it wears off. He's okay. like, we're gonna step you down. So mm. we'll get you out of this better. And that was, then I was, way better like over the next two days they basically just stepped down this pain and move you to oral medication and then you can go home but i just remember thinking oh my god like i i want to be dead like this is horrible and uh you go home you know and again it's weird they kick you out you get in a wheelchair your wife takes you home you crutch in your house and that's it man nobody that's the end of it and you just deal with the carnage again. Like, wow. look at yourself in a mirror the first time and you're like, holy shit, this is what they were talking about. Like your leg is gone now and you you don't notice it, right? That sounds dumb until you see it in the mirror and then you go, huh. oh my God, my leg's gone. And like my body is so scarred up from the accident. Like my left leg is all scarred up. My back has these big, this big scar where they fused me. Yeah, I've just got scars everywhere and you, you can deal with that stuff because you're like, those are fine, like whatever. They're just the discoloration or they're whatever. When you, the leg though, you're just like, oh my God, that's gone, dude, that is gone. And it's just mind blowing to, to have to get your head around that and, mm. and accept it as, okay, this is my new, this is me now. This is my new normal. Mm. Um, 
And when I work with trauma victims now, that's the biggest hurdle is your identity is gone. Your old identity is gone. And so who am I in this new form? And and what does that form even do? Mm. No idea. So yeah. And then sort of cobble your life back together however you're going to envision it at that point, which is what that that's the road I started down then. Yeah. Wow. Just I other world. Just I, it's so I am weird. Speechless, man. Thank you for sharing no. all that. Does this, does it feel hard to talk about that? You're so I, I imagine you've done it so many times. You're relaying it very factually. It's cathartic to me. Is it? It is. Um, okay. Because I de- because it's freaking of, me out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have drugs somewhere. I'll give you. Um, <laughs> no, it, it is. It, it's actually cathartic because it's like I don't think about it very often. Like so, for me, it's like I deal. I have to deal with a lot of chronic pain just from the injuries, right? Like so such a long list of injuries. I have to take drugs every day. I take- Still? Yeah, every day. Almost three 20 times years day. later. Yep. Three times a day I take meds. Um, to, and what that does is it gives you, it it puts the pain at a manageable level. So like, then you can go do something. So if I don't take them, like I don't have to take them, but I'm going to sit and I'm not going to move because it's it, it it's painful to move. And mm. so if you take these meds, it's they're non-narcotic pain meds, but they're still pain meds. Um, it's like super, super beefed up ibuprofen. Okay. Um, so I take that three times a day. I have to take something to help my kidneys work right because I damaged those in the fall. Um, well, I have to take a drug for the RSD because you never lose that. So the nerve disorder, um, different things you have to take to make the machine work. And I just tell people, it's almost like a dog barking. So the dog is always barking. The meds make the dog move further away. So mm. you still hear the dog but he's not chewing on your leg. He's behind you barking. And mm. that's, as long as he stays behind you, I can go climb, I can do what I need to do. But when you don't take the meds, the dog comes up and then then it's chewing on your leg again. And so it's like, I don't want that all day. I just want the dog to be there. And he does his thing, I do my thing. We go about our day. Um, some days are worse, you know, so there are some days I don't do anything. Um, mm. Heavy, uh, like pressure changes really hurt me. Um, so like weather coming in and out, oh. um, I'm like a barometer. I can feel it. See, I can tell you when it's going to rain. Usually about 12 hours ahead. So it's just like weird we stuff like that. We need a project together. <laughs> Craig, when's my window, man? Yeah, tell me. Tell me when. Is it going to be 80 or 75 degrees and no humidity? And I'm like, <laughs> Thursday, 2.30. Do it. Yeah, so it's weird. Like you have to negotiate. You, you are negotiating all this new terrain. It's like you learn your body again. You learn your mind again. You, Who you are, um, who you want to be, that kind of, you know, like all this weird existential stuff that you never or i never even thought of like mm. all of a sudden you're thinking about it because you have to it's weird do you have i'm curious if you have any other practices that that go i mean i know that i've heard you talk about how climbing has has kind of been a therapy for mm-hmm. you and i'd love to talk about that but i'd just be curious if there's anything else daily practices meditation or anything because it sounds like this practice of zen constantly to be cool with the dog, you know. Like, yeah, are, yeah. Is there, are there are there ever moments where you're just like, oh, I want to shoot the dog yeah, in the yeah. head. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, that's a, I would not daily, but like, yeah, you're doing that five days a week where you're just mm. like, this is freaking ridiculous. Like, come on, really? And like, when I talk with other people going through things, that's the that's the common thread. I was just talking to this uh, friend in the gym yesterday, and I was like, I, I get so in. I get so short where I'm like, 
you know, you listen to other people complaining about something that's silly to you, mm. but you can't like just lash out and be like, shut up, you idiot. Like, and she's dealing with some really heavy health issues. And she was like, oh my God, they'll, they'll say, oh, my skin hurts and I can't project as hard as I want to today. And she's just like, dude, I'm fucking dying. Like, <laughs> shut up. And so you're dealing with that on a regular basis where you're mm. trying to mitigate that pain level and like where it's pushing you and pulling you. But for me, I got, I, I think I started doing like more visualization, almost like when you're thinking of a client, like if I'm thinking of something I'm working on a, on a route, I visualize, and I think we all do, how to do particular things on that route. Like, how do I do that move? How do I, where's my body position? I just transferred that into how do I navigate this broken body now? So like visualize it not hurting as much, visualize me hmm. healing, right? Like, because then you manifest that, I think, your body listens to those positive impulses um, as opposed to just like, oh my God, I got wrecked. This is horrible. My life sucks. Well, that's probably going to be a self-fulfilling prophecy. Mm. You're going to go down that road. Whereas I kind of, I've always been a glass is half full person. I think the accident, I think crystallized that and made it very real to me. Like, okay, if I go negative, I feel worse. If I stay positive, I feel better. Well, I'm not a rocket scientist, but I can figure that out. So visualizing that, okay, I'm healing, visualizing that I'm feeling better, visualizing that I'm gonna have a, a better day than yesterday. Um, it's not always true. It doesn't always work. And I think that is like a meditation practice of mine where I'll, I try to slow down and just be very present. And in these injuries, that's actually the, the mixed blessing that you get from them. Mm. It makes you be very present because mm. you can't, you can't be like, oh, next Tuesday, I'll, I'll definitely do that. Well, next Tuesday, I might feel like garbage. And, you know, drinking coffee will be the highlight of my day. <laughs> you know? But like then, you know, next Tuesday, I might also be ready to, you know, send my project that I'm working on. But, you know, I never know that. Uh, mm. I, you, you have to be present. And I think that's a really cool thing to take from it um, because you don't, in our culture, very few people are present. I think climbers are very good at being present, but we also are also, just like everybody else, get mired down in the day-to-day -day crap. Um, these injuries make you be present because you don't really have a choice. You're like, mm. yep, this is where I am. This is what I'm doing. So I'm gonna deal with it. I mean, you also put yourself out there and show up for a lot of other people. I'm wondering what happens if you're supposed to, you know, go to a meeting with people or, or meet with someone who's a recent amputee or has experienced trauma, you're trying to help someone and you're having one of those Tuesdays where the coffee feels like right. the highlight. Like, how do you, how do you rally for that? Uh, you know, I, I can, I mean, I do it. I take more meds. I just figure, okay, I got to do this for an hour. I'm going to get through this. It's going to be fine. Mm. Um, and I'm very honest with them. Like when I'm speaking to someone, the, the thing initially, when I started like to meet with people and talk with them, the, I would never say any of the challenges I was having. I would just, I'd show up. They'd be like, dude, this, you're bounced back. You're like climbing all the time. You're like, mm. you're, you're, you've, you're healed quote unquote. And you're like, yeah. Yeah. Right. Like I would, I would agree and walk out. And then I was like, that is a huge disservice because if they think that, and then it doesn't happen to them, then they're just like, shit, I'm not, what's wrong with me? Like, I'm not getting better. He got better. I'm not getting better. Mm. And so now I'm very transparent, like up to a degree, like I'm, I'll share obviously up to a degree. I'm not going to share a lot of my personal stuff, but I'm going to share the bigger ticket items. Like, yeah, you know what? I feel horrible today. My RSD's flared up. My late, my stump feels like somebody hit me with a bat. My back hurts. Like all these things are, I'm going to honestly 
if they ask, I'm going to tell them. If they don't ask, you know, I try to go there and let them vent to me um, because it's not about me at that time. It's it's about what they're dealing with and like how I can help them navigate that mm. on some level. And I always tell them, look, what worked for me may not work for you, but I would try it. I would try these things. So do I think you're going to be a climber now? I don't know, maybe, but mm. like, let's go climb and try it. See what you think. Um, usually the people I meet ha don't have the list of injuries I have. So they'll have like one or two of them. So it's, it's almost like, well, he's worse than I am. So maybe I'll just go do that with him and see what happens. And that mentality then opens doors. Like, mm. all right, let's just give it a try and see what happens. Some of the people love it. Some of them, it's not going to be their thing and that's fine. They'll, they'll find something, but it's that movement piece. It's like, just move a little bit and then like just see how that feels it's gonna hurt like a mother but like <laughs> let's just see what happens right like if you're moving you're winning and if you're moving you're also moving away from that accident or whatever that traumatic event was so mm. let's let's get as far away from that as we can it happened yes it's gonna be a big defining moment in your life but it doesn't have to define you the rest of your life like it's a moment right like let's acknowledge that and move on um and that's really hard for people because they man, they get tied up and people want to be like they were. And it's hard to realize that you're not going to ever be that person again. Mm. So that's a tough pill to swallow. Yeah. Yeah, that's a lot. You have to let go and kind of grieve a lost identity yeah. and then create a new one. Correct. That's, yeah. That's and sometimes lot. that identity is better. Sometimes it's worse. Mm. Um, sometimes it turns into addiction issues. Sometimes it turns into really positive stuff where people like go out and change the world. Uh, mm. You know, look at Hugh, uh, Hugh Hare, you know, he invented legs that make people walk now because he lost his legs. It's like, that's freaking next level stuff where you're just like, would he have done that? Probably not. Mm. Um, he probably would have done something great, but like, would it have been that? I doubt it. Um, but now you have this person who's innovating these amazing things that advance people with disabilities and allow them to do things they could never do before. That's pretty amazing. Mm. Yeah. It's weird how the universe works. It's like, oh, <laughs> that's not how I wanted to get here, but I'm here now and that's kind of cool. Let's yeah. See what we can do with that. Yeah. Well, I actually wanted to ask you about that because, and, and this feels so weird to say, like what you've been through is horrible. I wouldn't wish it upon anybody. And I'm so sorry that it happened to you, but I can't think of a better person for it to happen to. Yeah. <laughs> and, but, but I would agree with you, that. You know what I, I mean? know that sounds really fucked up. Yeah. But it's like, it's true. Like yeah. I wouldn't, I would never change it. I say that all the time. Like I would never, I do, I want to be in pain. No, of course not. Um, do I wish I had my leg back? Absolutely. But I wouldn't change it now. Cause it's like, it's been this, I, I would, I'm able to get to these places that I would have never gotten to, you know, I would never mm. have worked in the outdoor industry. I would never have been the climber that I am today. I would never have been the husband, the dad. I, I wouldn't be those things because I was completely comfortable doing what I was doing. And not that I, what I was doing was bad or wrong. I wasn't like kicking puppies or anything, right? Like <laughs> I was a good person, I think. But like now I it gave me this purpose that I didn't have before. Mm. Um, and it gave me this ability and a platform to like use to, to kind of go out and help people, which- yeah. I didn't even know I wanted to do, which is really funny too. Cause I was like, that wasn't even on my radar. That was, I was kicked into that world by Timmy O'Neill, right? Like mm. he made me an offer to go do something. And I was like, that sounds horrible. I don't want to do that. Do you remember what it was? Yeah. I came back from Yosemite. I was, I had just climbed the nose in a day. 
And I came back from Yosemite. He calls me up. He's and like, this is after the amputation. After the amputation. Yeah. He calls me up. He's like, dude, nice job <laughs> on the nose. That's fucking rad. He's like, hey, Saturday, taking some guys climbing in Boulder Canyon, come down. No, we were going to Eldo. He's like, I'm going out to Eldo, come down. There's three guys who lost their legs in Iraq and you should mm. teach them how to climb. And I'm like, no, I don't wanna do that. <laughs> He's like, okay, well, eight o'clock. So we'll see ya. <laughs> and I'm like, shit. So being, he's a good friend. So I was like, drove to Boulder begrudgingly. I was like, this is dumb. Get there, meet these three guys. They're all young. They were like in their twenties. And I'm like, oh, these guys are funny as hell actually. So we go into Eldo, climb all day with them. And I was like, this is rad. Like, this is what I want to do. This is so fucking fun. Like I'm, hmm. th is this a job? Like, do we do this? And he had just started a nonprofit and he's like, yeah, we do this. This is what we do. Timmy like, had? Timmy started Paradox Sports. Oh, okay. And so he's like, let's, you know, like, let's do this. And so he was working with some other folks. We worked together um, with some veterans kind of on and off. Um, and that was like my introduction into adaptive sports. I was like, oh, this is cool. Like I could, I want to do more of this. And I just started volunteering with that organization. And then I met the organization that I work with now uh, called Adaptive Adventures when they're in Denver. And they just do 10 different sports for physical people with physical disabilities. And they were like, hey, we want to build a climbing program. Would you want to do that? And I was like, yeah, that sounds fucking rad. Like, let's do that. And so for the past five years, I've worked with them building a program where we take veterans climbing, we take civilians, you know, anyone who's gone through heavy trauma. Mm. Um, and they have gone through the machine of like, here's what you're never going to do again. Cause that's what the medical community does. And yeah. they kind of have to, like right. you, you have to like, you don't want to set people up for failure. You want them to, when they leave the hospital, like, yeah, I'm alive, but this kind of sucks. Like mm. shit, I can't do anything. Then you need people like me to come in and say, eh, I know what they said, <laughs> I get it. They have to say that, but dude, let's go climb. Let's see what you think. If you don't like climbing, let's go mountain biking. If you don't like that, let's go paddle boarding, whatever, kayaking. There's all these sports you can do. Like you don't have to like sit on your ass and get fat and be mad. You can mm. actually go do some really fun stuff. Like even if you're in a wheelchair, I don't care. Like whatever, you're blind, we can make something happen. And so that's what we do is we get these folks and we try to like give them a different narrative than they, they've had. So, you know, you leave the hospital, you're, you're a heavy trauma survivor. The narrative is you're not gonna do much. If you believe that narrative, it becomes your narrative. Whereas if you say, hey, like that doesn't have to be your narrative. Like you can do these other things. Do you want to be a pro climber? Probably not. Like, don't worry about that. Like just be, do this for fun. Um, and it might be a really good tool to get better and feel better and, and have a really great quality of life. And so they need to hear that narrative too. Mm. So maybe, and usually what I see is they fall somewhere in the middle of those two then. You know, they're not going to be on the side of like, I'm moving into a van and climbing. Although <laughs> I always tell them that's my biggest compliment you could ever give me is like, dude, I bought a van. I'm checking out later. <laughs> See you in rifle. Yeah. Um, but like that doesn't, that hasn't happened. I don't think that's happened. Maybe that if anyone knows, that would be awesome. Um, <laughs> but like most of them, you know, they'll fall somewhere in that, that middle space, which is great. You know, they're active. They're, they're leading a good life. They're happy. Um, they're dealing with their injuries and they're, they're moving forward, right? Like they're not stuck in that event. That, that event doesn't just hold them down. It becomes an event that they're, they're moving away from mm. in some form. I, I'm curious what happened or what your life looked like before all of this. And the reason I'm curious is because you are such a natural communicator. You're such a good Ooh. teacher and you're basically a therapist to these people. 
on some level on some level yeah on some level yeah was there any, were there any elements of that in your professional life or, or in your life before the accident uh no in fact i hated i hated public speaking <laughs> i didn't i was terrified of talking in front of people i didn't like um That's i was just man. a climber i seriously all i was i was just <clears throat> i was a photographer and a climber and i just wanted to go i just wanted to climb that's all I wanted to do. And that's all I was doing. I was working as a photographer. I met Cindy in a climbing oh, gym. Right. Yeah. So I met Cindy in a climbing gym. I worked in uh, journalism, basically. So I was working for Associated Press. And out here, I was working with a publishing company and then also uh, some news outlets. And I was perfectly content. I can't even express that. Like, I was very happy doing what I was doing. Um, and Cindy and I, you know, we had our kids and we would go climbing together and we'd do trips together. And then you know, that all just got yanked out from under me. And, and it made me go, oh, I was probably a little too hung up on what I was, like what I wanted, right? Like, mm. I think what the accident has taught me in, in the, the years after is like, it's, you can be like attached to the things that you want to do, like attached to your goals and you should be um, because goals make you motivated and make you move forward. But I think also I was a little too that far, that mm. side, you know, like, this is what I want. This is what I'm going to do. The accident was like, okay, you can have these goals. You can do those things and you can achieve those things, but you can also turn that around and help other people and bring them along and, and lift them up into where they want to be. And I think I just had no idea you could do that mm. just because I had never seen it. I just honestly didn't know that existed. Yeah. Just didn't have that bandwidth at all so it once i saw it i was like oh shit okay that's rad like okay i want to do that too so that's kind of fun um and i was able to like blend those two things together um you know this is my passion climbing is my passion getting hurt is part of my identity so like how do i make those two things work together and mm. that's this is kind of what i was able to i guess cobble out of that mm. it makes sense to me right like it all it was kind of effortless because I want. I th again, it's like that thing where you're right place, right time. Wouldn't change anything. I probably couldn't be doing what I do now if I was in the same headspace I was before. I just, I probably wouldn't do it. Yeah. You know. And my initial reaction when, <clears throat> when it was offered to me, even after getting hurt, I was like, no, <laughs> don't want to do that. Yeah. Uh, that sounds yucky. Um, but then <laughs> when you see it, you go, oh, okay. I didn't know that. Cool. Mm. Let's do that. And, and, and like I tell people this all the time, I only wanted to be known as, I just wanted to be a climber, right? Like I, I still want that. Like when people see me, I get that they go, oh, that's the guy that got hurt and now he's climbing, he's a climber. There's, they, they run through all the, the boxes to check. But like at the end of the day, like, and I tell people in my clinics, like, I, I want you to be a climber. I don't want you to be an adaptive climber. You're gonna be that because you're whatever just be a climber. Just like, that's what we're here for. And I think like, that's what makes it more inclusive now. Mm. And, and, and the current environment that we're working in, everyone wants to be included. And, and that inclusivity is hard to do without like, doing it well is hard, like without making someone feel like you're patronizing or whatever. Mm. Um, and as a person with a disability, you're like, I don't want to be talked to that way and i'm sure the people i work with don't either so let's just treat them as climbers and that's what i tell gyms it's like when they come through the door it's just another guy behind a day pass like doesn't matter guy or girl is going to climb do whatever they're going to do here's some tools that i can help you with to make them feel more successful like mm. here's how we do that but like at the end of the day it's just another person coming in the gym to climb let's just let's just look at it that way yeah and it's just a lot easier 
That's awesome. I watched your short film of your all adaptive ascent of El Cap. Yeah. And I think I'm paraphrasing, but I think you said something along the lines of like, look, dude, we weren't trying to like make a statement or do right. anything specific or be the first. We just like wanted to climb El Cap. Right. And it it's it's even more inspiring and powerful, you know, through that lens. Right. Right. That not I the lens that. of I'm doing this to make a statement or achieve well, you're doing it to achieve something, but like not to make a statement. You're just saying these are two of my friends. We all think this is a good idea. So let's like, why would we not go do that? So yeah. then we just went and did it. And it's it's like, and even when you fail too, it's like you, the failure is just a part of it, right? Mm. You're not making a statement again, like, well, we failed, we're gonna, it's just like, yeah, we just got our, <clears throat> got our asses kicked the first time. We'll go back <laughs> again. Just like every big wall climber, we all have stories, right? Like of just getting our ass handed to us. And that's part of climbing. That's mm. what it is. And so, yeah, not making a statement, just saying, we're doing this for fun. And that's what like all of our clinics now, like we do them for fun. Like we take people climbing for fun because climbing is really fun. It's just the craziest fun thing I've ever done. And so, you know, like you, like it lights us up, right? It's like, this is what I want to do. And so, God, why would you not want to show that to someone else? Mm. Right? So what does that look like now? Is that your full-time job? That's my full-time job. It's like that's what I so do, awesome. right? It's so crazy. It's yeah. so wonderful. Um, <laughs> so I take people, uh, I, I start them in the gym usually just to introduce them to climbing and say, okay, this is what climbing can be. This is what it feels like. Um, here's some safety stuff we do. And then we transition them outside. And so get them on mostly single pitch, like sport climbing stuff. Um, I have some people who want to do like longer routes. So we'll go and do like a trad route if they want to, um, something long and fun. Um, but just my whole goal is to get them active again. So mm. a lot of times with people with heavy trauma or an injury, they'll self-isolate first. So they'll kind of like wall off everyone. And then that's a downward spiral that they'll get into. And then mm. you get into depression and you get into this weird stuff that they'll start to deal with that with. Never a good idea, right? So I try to get people pretty fresh after their accidents. That's not always true, but usually we can. And just start to work through some of that, like, okay, this is what you can do with climbing. Climbing is, it's great because it engages the flow state really fast. So if they have like PTSD, for instance, which most heavy trauma people have, it's not always just like a military person. Mm. Um, they have PTSD of some kind. So if you can get them climbing, it's just like all of us, like when we pull on, that's where you are. You're not like, did I shut the garage door? Did I, you know what I mean? Like you're <laughs> yeah. right there. Like you're you're in that bubble of three feet. Like there's my next, you know, I'm, I'm gonna crimp that with my right. I'm gonna flag over here and do that. They've never experienced that. So all of a sudden you put them on a rope and you put them on a rock and they go, oh, I wasn't thinking about that other thing at all mm. while I was climbing. So they're dealing with fear, just like the same stuff we all deal with, but now they've not done that before. So you get that. It's almost like a drug because they're like, oh, that was... For that 50 feet, I wasn't thinking about pain, fear, mm. like there was fear with climbing, but like not from the event or whatever that was. The PTSD is is knocked down. And now, as soon as they get to the ground, it comes back, right? But mm. what we do is we try to like through climbing and through these adventure sports is like spread that gap out bigger. So when they come down, it comes back right away. Well, when they do it a bunch, they learn to like engage that flow state and be present. Well, they can transition that again into their normal everyday life. Mm. And that way you can push PTSD down again a little bit more. Um, and all the tricks we use as climbers to like mentally visualize a route, you can do that with PTSD too. You can visualize it being less. You can visualize your life being better. 
that all translates to climbing and climbing to life. Mm -hmm. And so that's what I show them is like, this is something you can use every day. It don't have to be climbing. Like when you're feeling whatever you're feeling, like you can compartmentalize that. It's like fear when you're climbing, you can compartmentalize that and move it and put it where you need it to be. It's like the dog barking, like get it behind you. Then you can do something ahead and you can move forward instead mm -hmm. of like always in that loop of, oh, this sucks, blah, blah, blah. It's like that loop can be interrupted and, and disrupted and changed into something positive. Mm -hmm. So I use climbing to do that. Um, other people use lots of different things. That's just, that's what I know. So that's my sweet spot. Yeah. Yeah. I'm curious, and I'm thinking of a friend of mine right now. I'm curious if you ever encounter situations or people in which exposing them to the fear of climbing and the um, perceived risk of climbing, does that ever trigger trauma? Does that ever trigger yeah. PTSD? And totally, I, I'm thinking about you as well, like coming back to climbing after this accident. That was the source of your trauma. Totally. Um, what do you do? Are there some people for which climbing is just not the thing or is there a way to work through that? Yeah, there's for sure it will trigger people sometimes. Um, climbing gyms are loud. They're bright. There's a lot of people. Mm. Um, those three things are really big triggers. Um, so what we do is, or what I try to do is, is go in and, and mitigate that right away. Like, okay, we're in the gym. We start in the front of the gym. And even like getting them to fill out waivers and things like that. Like those are stressful to people when they're dealing with a lot of PTSD. So we, we do things very slowly. So we do two hour sessions within that two hour session. They'll probably only climb three routes ish, mm. um, some less, some more, but what I'm doing in that whole time is just getting them to be present with me and, and pay attention to me. Like, this is how you tie your knot. This is what we do. This is a belay device. This is how you belay. This is how a climber moves. Here's how you can be efficient. You're trying to distract them. And by distracting them, the PTSD goes away and they're more focused on just what's happening in front of them. When they have flare-ups, what we'll do is we'll, we'll kind of isolate them. So move them off of whatever did it. So if they're climbing and they have it, we'll just bring them back down quickly. Um, calmly move them off um, to the side, maybe just sit down. Uh, I always have volunteers with me. So the volunteer will just maybe sit with that person, let them chill out. Uh, some of the veterans I work with will want to leave the building. They'll just go outside. That's fine. They'll go outside and smoke a cigarette, whatever they need to do to calm down a little bit. They have tools that work for them. Um, I don't ever obviously change those tools. If that works for them, great. And then we bring them back in and we try to tr try it again. And sometimes people will come back in and it'll be fine. Other people, it's just not going to be their thing. Mm. And, and I understand that. And, and I think I even say that to a lot of people like, Hey, this isn't for everyone. My wife jokes with me about it. Like, she's like, you just say that when you don't like that person. And I'm like, that's not true. <laughs> that's not true at all. Um, and she would just bust my ass, but it's like, <laughs> I tell them, look, it's, it might not be climbing. Maybe it's paddleboarding. Maybe it's kayaking. Maybe it's riding a bike. Like you just need that thing that disengage that that dog, like get away from the dog. So whatever that is going to be for you, let's, let's find that. Um, mm. so if it's not climbing, maybe it is skiing, maybe it's shoot. I know people who like become painters and artists and like, it's that ability to change the pattern of your brain, like mm. change what, what is beating you down? Like, how do you negate that and make it less in your brain? So it's not overpowering, um, whatever that's going to be, that's the right answer. Yeah. I'm curious if you have like an upward trajectory still. Like, are you still healing? Is your body feeling better or things kind of- God, I thought I was healing until I smashed it in that <laughs> wall with that guy. I thought I was doing great. Um, a few steps forward, one step yeah, back. Exactly, yeah, exactly. God. Yeah. Uh, you know, my body is pretty predictable now. Um, 
you know, my back is like, it hurts most days, but like, I, again, I take that, the d- drugs to kind of keep things down. Um, I don't think, I think like I have, I'm not going to heal any more than I am. I think I've stopped. I think I plateaued probably five years ago, I would mm. say. Um, now it's just like maintenance. You're just, you're just doing stuff to kind of like not let things get worse. Mm. Uh, you know, trauma is w- weird. It's like it's different for everyone. And so like you think like, oh, okay, I'm like, this feels really good. And then the next day you're like, oh my God, that's horrible. So I don't think I'll heal anymore. I don't think I'm getting like feeling back. I don't feel like I'm progressing. I feel like I'm pretty, pretty plateaued and I'll probably stay there now until, I mean, who knows when. Mm. I, I'd like to think until I die, I'd be fine. But like, <laughs> you know, like I don't really know. <laughs> who knows? Uh, yeah. It's a good question. Yeah. Is the dog still getting further away or is the dog just, you're just. No, I mean, some days he's like right on my fucking lap. Yeah. Other days he's <laughs> running behind me and, uh, you know, some days he's in front of me. It's like the dog is just there. He's just. Yeah. yeah. And he's just always going to be right. I just, yeah. I've come to accept that that's the way that is. And I feel like my base level is like, it changes your whole base of level of pain, right? Like what I thought was pain before was not pain. You know, now I, I have a better lens to look at it through. So you know, some days the dog's loud, some days the dog's soft, some days the dog is, he's never sleeping. Mm. Fucker's always awake. But, like, <laughs> you know, it's just like, you're just dealing with the dog. It's just, mm-hmm. that's just the way it is. Mm. Yeah. Um, I want to ask you about, you know, this newfound level of presence that mm. you have. Like, that's one mm-hmm. of the gifts from this thing. And um, this other amazing gift of, zooming out and looking at your life and finding this thing that's really fulfilling in this way to give back. And I'm really curious if there's any advice that you have for normal people. I'm using podcast air quotes again, but like (laughs) how do the rest of us move towards that? Hopefully without having a hundred foot ground fall, that's the catalyst for, for that growth. Um, Do you have any thoughts about that? Like how do people that haven't been through this very objective trauma. Maybe, maybe we all have it. We just need to find it within ourselves. Right. But oh, that's a really good question. Um, is there a way to to hack it? Can we? <laughs> yeah. How do you we hack get it what without you that? Found yeah. Without having without to cut that, our legs yeah, off. Without that crap. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I honestly, actually, I, I, I can't answer that because so I work with a lot of volunteer climbers, right? Like climbers will see me in a gym with a group and they'll be like, "Hey, I, how can I help you?" They are, I think they have this unique ability to step back and say, okay, I love this sport. And so I want to share that with someone. It's really that simple. It's like almost taking that new climber climbing and you see them get so excited. Really, that's what you could, you could, any person can access that. Mm. Um, You don't have to have like experience with an injury. You don't have to have experience. You just have to be a person who knows how to climb and who can teach someone how to climb, which is all of us, right? Like if you're climbing, you can probably show someone how to do it and expose them to it. Um, Because I think that gives you that ability to pull back and say, okay, I'm just going to show this person what's cool about this and see what they think. And I like, I watch my son coach. Um, He coaches the, one of the competitive teams in the gym here in town and listening to him coach, it's like, he's just exposing them through his experiences like this is this i think this is really cool so like try this and then they go oh that's freaking rad and then they they make it what they're going to make it and i think anyone can do that right Mm. like i think when you love a sport like this and you make it your whole lifestyle your whole community is built around it to expose someone else to that is just that's a really cool feeling 
And that's the feeling that I get when I do this. It's mm. like that showing someone something really neat that I think can really help them. That's really powerful stuff. And you don't have to fall off a cliff. You don't have to cut your leg <laughs> off. You know, like you can go do that this afternoon and, and, mm. and probably have a really big impact on someone. And like I use my son as an example because I see the impact. He, he was telling me the other day the impact his coach had on him when he was, I think he was 14 or 15. And he said he had the most impact in him, on him out of anyone he ever spoke to about sports because he coached him as a peer. Like, this is, I love this and you'll love this too if you just give it a chance. And this guy is like, he's a wonderful guy. His name's Mikey. And Mikey is in California now. And I hope he listens to this podcast because he really, he really influenced Will and he made Will go, this is such a neat thing. And it was just because he shared this love of climbing. That mm. was it. Like he didn't give him any of these huge nuggets of wisdom of like, this is what it, like, and I don't do that either. Like I'm, dude, I'm very, I swear too much. I make <laughs> jokes about everything. It's like, I'm, I'm like the worst person that should be doing this, but, and yet it works because it's just genuinely who I am. This is mm. me. Like I can, I'll tell you what works for me and why I think it's neat. And then you run with it and and anyone can do that. Like that's, I see my son do that. I see, I saw his coach do that. It's like, we're just sharing what we love to do. And that's, mm. anyone can do that in any sport, right? It doesn't have right. to be climbing. It can be anything that you're passionate about. It's painting, it's building, it's wh whatever, it's skiing. It's like, you can share that passion. And that's really what it, I think what it comes down to because that makes you very genuine to them. Mm. Um, and people can pick up on that. They're just like, this is really a genuine thing. It's not like him reading off a script or whatever. It's yeah, it's genuine and it feels very real. Awesome. Awesome, man. Okay, I, I have some questions for you. I have some questions from other people for you uh -oh. specifically. And the first one is from Chris Caloose. Oh God. Our dear friend, Chris Caloose. And he writes... Why do you swear so much, Craig? Yeah, because he started it. Did he tell you that story? I think he told it on the podcast. Oh, but he we did. talked about he it. Did. Yeah, yeah. He did. And he made me a swear reel of when I swore in that first interview. And it, it's, I think it's like 30 seconds long of me saying all these different words. And the, the funniest thing about it was he sent it to me, he emailed it to me. So I had it on my laptop somehow. And somehow, I have no idea how this happened, but it got on my kids' playlists. So yes. this is when they were young, dude. Oh they were so young. That's and every now perfect. and again, we'd be out somewhere and one of them would pull their <laughs> headphones off and be like, oh, you're swearing at me for 30 seconds. I'm like, God damn it, son of a bitch, Caloose. I don't know. I always I always apologize too. I'm like, I, I swear too much. I know I do. And I try so hard. <laughs> when I'm in gyms, I try yeah. to not swear. And I, yeah. I just, I hear it and I'm like, oh, you dropped the F-bomb again. Dang it. So... <laughs> That's just me. well. It's it's obviously tongue in cheek. I think from what I recall, I think you had you had um, teased him. I did because you're like, I want my kids to be able to listen to this, dude. Like, why are you swearing? Well, no, and then he's like, Wait a second. No, a mom complained a mom. to me. Oh, a, mo a mom emailed me and said, <laughs> I heard your story, and so I played it. I played this enormous cast for my son. Yeah, and you swear, and I'm like, I didn't swear at all. And she goes. Someone's swearing. And I, so I emailed Chris and I'm like, dude, <laughs> you're fucking, see, you're swearing on. And he goes, I didn't swear. And I go, yeah, you did. And then he took the tape and cut it apart. <laughs> so it's all my cuss words in a row. And he's like, there you go, buddy. And I was like, I'm just going to shut up now. <laughs> so then he made a clean version 
This is how nice he is. He made a clean version, and then no that lady got the clean version, and she played it for her class. It was for her school. It was like the third oh grade my class. Gosh. So can you imagine the third grade at this elementary school, and I'm dropping f bombs, and she's just like, "Stop, <laughs> stop!" <laughs> so yeah, we it was mostly it, sh- it was mostly shit. It was, it it was, was shit, shit, and I think shit. yeah, over and over, just when I was telling the story, I was like, "Oh shit!" and uh, and, mm-hmm. and he was like. He goes, I didn't swear until you sweared. And then, I was, and then we did. Swear. Yeah. But yeah, I still blame him though. I'm going to email him and see if I can attach that to the end of this oh episode. Oh my God. It's, That's the best. I I, That's so funny. I might even have it still. It's terrible. It's his fault. It's all his fault. <laughs> this question's from Tyler. And I love the way that Tyler worded this question. It cracked me up. So Tyler writes, the other climbing podcast often refers to episode 11 as the all-time best. What do you think made your story so captivating at the time? And Tyler is, of course, referring to the normal cast, and there are many other really good climbing podcasts out there, so there's not just there's not, not just one. the two. But why do you think why do you think people why was it so captivating and why did it I don't know if resonates the right word, but I yeah. No, I think it is the right word because I think so I think because it was it was very soon after the accident. So my impressions of the accident were very fresh in my mind. Like, okay, this is how I felt. This is how I feel. And I was, I didn't know Chris. And so I felt very at ease with just talking. And so he was like, in fact, I remember when he reached out to me, he's like, you don't know me, but I want to, I do this podcast. And he's like, I want you to just tell your story. And I was, it was the first podcast I did. So I was like, just like, okay, I'm just going to be honest and tell him what I think and tell him how it felt and feels. And so it was just a very genuine conversation between two people who, Mm. you know, and he was so gripped, which made me go in my brain as I was like kind of verbally throwing up. I was like, (laughs) he was so He was physically throwing up. Right. He's like, oh my God, he's like pale. And I'm like, this is wow, this is kind of a fucked up story. I get, yeah, like you don't realize it and you're saying it and you're like, wow, this is this kind of weird. Like, okay, yeah. So I think that's why. I think it was just a genuine open conversation. And I think maybe people were just like, hadn't heard someone talk about an accident that openly. And and mm, yeah. so people just went, oh shit. Like, okay, they're talking about this the whole way through. So, and it, and it went on for, it's long, dude. It's like an hour and a half, I think, something yeah. like that. Craziness. Um, yeah. So I think it was just the open, genuine banter back and forth of just this horrific accident. Um, and me just being like, he he always jokes to me. He's like, you you were just so f- fucking okay with it. Like, mm. yeah, I mean, this happened and I'm doing this now. And and he was like, and, and I maybe that too was like, just hadn't been verbalized that way. Maybe. I don't know. In, yeah, in yeah. our world yet. Um, that is true. I think with any kind of trauma, it's it's so rare that you hear someone spell out, this is what happened. Right. You know, like people kind of dance around it or wh- whatever they need to do to, right. um, to not relive it, you know, right in front right. of you. They, right. do, they do that. So. People are really guarded about it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, and I see that all the time. People are super guarded about they'll, they, they'll be super guarded about their injuries. Like what's wrong, what's not wrong. Yeah. And I was like, and again, probably cause I didn't know any better. Um, I was like, yeah, like this broke this. Bro-, and, and Chris is just like, oh my God, like shit, dude. Like we took breaks. Cause he's oh, like, really? he's like, let's just wait a minute. Let's just, <laughs> 
all right, let's go again. We're ready. Uh, Cause he would like, he'd sit back and then, and then he would rock. And then I'm like, God, maybe I should be rocking. Like I'm fucking stressed now. Uh, so it just became, the, and that's, I think why we became friends too. It was just like, it was just this open banter where I was like, oh, this guy totally gets my jokes and he's making jokes back. But then it's like really heavy situation. And yeah, yeah, I don't know. So I, I don't know. Perfect storm of just like letting it all out. So, yeah. I was going to ask this earlier and we moved past it, but I, I want to ask it now. I'm curious, you're talking about everything happening really fast and your brain just can't catch up with what's happening. Right. At what point did it come back or, or did you have to have someone, did someone eventually tell you, here's what happened to you? How, how did that play out when you're in the hospital um, starting to recover? It, yeah, Steve, uh, I couldn't remember, I couldn't remember how I got on the ground and Steve and I, through, he would come every day and talk to me. He was guilt-ridden because he, yeah. he, people want to assign blame always. And so people assigned the blame to him unfairly. And Well, even if they didn't, man, like if that was me. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Totally. Like that's got to be almost as hard as. Totally. And I, I think that every time I talk about this story, I'm like, oh my God, he had to see that. And then people wrongly threw blame around and mm -hmm. so it was that's just bullshit because he's the one of the nicest people i know um and he genuinely did everything to save my life right like we had a miscommunication that happens every day um mm. this one just had catastrophic a catastrophic outcome you know but um people were placing you know back and forth blame and so it required us to kind of talk through everything and so he and i talked once I got to the the assisted living uh, thing, he came in every day and we would just chat and talk and kind of go through it all. And so that was really good for me because I was like, oh, okay, so that this happened because of this and we were talking about that. And so he was able to connect dots for me that I couldn't connect because um, my short-term memory was just kind of really foggy. Mm. Um, like I remembered before the accident and I remembered the carry out. I didn't remember the actual accident until much further. Like way down the road, I remembered, oh my God, the anchor. I could visualize the anchor. Whoa. And so that kind of just came to me one day, like, oh shit, that's right, three bolts. I can picture the the carabiners. I can picture the slings. All those things are like in my brain, but that didn't come for like, I, I would almost say years after. Um, mm. And then you remember, I remember small pieces. And then I went back there on the fifth anniversary by myself. I went back to White Man thinking, oh, this is going to be this really cool cathartic thing. I'm going to go back. It's going to make me feel better. Kind of like the movies. Like, oh, you went back to this and that. And I went back. I rode my mountain bike in. I hid my mountain bike. I walked up to the base of the climb, looked up, and I was like, huh, it's a big rock. <laughs> it, it, <laughs> Nothing. It doesn't care. It just is like, nope. So I, I, have a, I took a small piece of the rock off the ground, and I took a small piece of the tree, put it in my pocket, walked back down the hill, got on my mountain bike. I probably rode 20 yards and I hit a washboard <laughs> fucking endo on my bike, hit my face on the ground. And I'm like, oh my God, this place is trying to fucking kill me. I'm never coming back here again. And I got on my bike and rode out and I got home and Cindy was like, how was it? And I'm like, it was a fucking nightmare. It was horrible. Um, so yeah. It's trying to finish yeah, the job. I was trying to, yeah, God. So I don't know. That is hilarious. <laughs> I'm curious. I, I'm. Um, th this will make sense, but do you know Ron by? by oh, chance? very well. You do very well. Okay. Yeah, she reached out to me after she. Well, actually, Nathan reached out to me after she got hurt. Okay. And then he and I spoke for probably six months while she was still over 
in Europe. And then when she came here, we met, he was like, I was bouldering at Carter Lake and he was like, I'm going to bring her down. Mm. And I was like, cool. And so we met and yeah, we've been friends ever since. Okay. Great person. One, both really, of them, wonderful person. I haven't met Nathan. Oh, he's um, awesome. But yeah, Ron Vai is an amazing person and we've become friends. We were we were neighbors in Waco at the oh, campground nice. for a while. Yeah, and she's fun wonderful. Together. She is wonderful. And um, the reason I bring her up, she, so for people listening, Ron Vai had uh, a, a very serious ground fall yeah, in Turkey, footer, I believe. 50 footer in Turkey. Yeah. Yep. And this was years ago and she's made an amazing recovery as well. Um, but she and I were, we were talking, we were going on a walk and we were talking and she told me this beautiful and really heart, heart wrenching story about going back to that route and everything that that brought up and realizing that she had been holding this resentment against herself. Oh, and she yeah. had this beautiful moment of of self-forgiveness where she had to kind of let it go. Like yep. this accident was my fault and everything that's happened from it was my fault, but it's okay. You know, right. like it's time to let it go. Did you, right. did, did you ever have that? Did you ever blame yourself? Did you ever wrestle with that? With um, I think I wrestled with like, how did I let that happen? Mm. Not like, oh, you dummy, like you moron, you wrecked your whole life. It was more like, okay, how did that happen? How did I let that, those events transpire the way they did and not catch it. Um, but then once I was like, you know what, you can't change it. Like that was powerful to me to realize no matter what I think, good, bad, indifferent, I can't change it. It's It, it happened, right? It's like the past is the past. I cannot change that. Mm. And so all I can do is move forward with the information that I have now and use that to obviously never do it again. And then obviously take that and somehow pay that forward and take mm. what I've learned and and hopefully move that to a positive space with other people. And so for me, it was, that, and that was a very short-lived thing for me. I, I, I think I might've beat myself up for like, like a month or two and then went, this is not even close to being constructive. Like this is, mm. this is just gonna send me somewhere I don't wanna go. And so, like I said, I'm always been kind of glasses half full. It's like, that's, the opposite of what I want to do. So I'm going to just kind of focus on now, okay, what do I know now and move forward with that instead. Mm. She's right though. It's, it is when people, you can see that happen in their brain, like where they flick the switch, like, okay, I'm going to move forward now. It's mm. like, it, that is really powerful. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to ask a couple more listener questions. There's a couple really good ones here. These are all from patrons. Thank you. Um, this is from Graham. He writes, hi, Craig. I'm currently getting my master's in clinical mental health counseling. Whoa. An important issue in the counseling profession and in the world for that matter is how to be more accessible and inclusive for those with less opportunity. Regarding accessibility and inclusivity, what insights have you gained as a result of your accident? How can people in the helping professions provide better opportunities for empowerment for people with disabilities? In short, what can we do better? What might better access and inclusion look like? Uh, it's such a great question. Um, thank you for asking it. I think what we do, what I've seen now is that people, they put the bar really low for anyone with a disability. So like somebody, even, you know, healthcare, whatever it is, sports, the bar is very low. And so when you put the bar really low, it feels that person doesn't feel valued. And mm. so no matter what that is, whether they have a disability or not, if that bar is low. So I work in a lot of like underserved communities and people just don't even, they feel like if they do even the littlest thing, they're like 
the the savior for this where it's like you know if you raise that bar up and say okay this is the bar we're gonna go with now like we're gonna not only provide these opportunities we're gonna provide the the adaptive things they need to do these things like it's one thing to go in and say i'm gonna take you climbing but it's another thing to say i'm gonna equip you mm. so that you can do this on your own mm. that's inclusivity to me it's like if i just go in and i'm the the guy who's like ha, i'm here to help you and then i'm gonna leave well, that doesn't really help. That's that's not very inclusive. That's me just doing something to make myself feel better. Whereas the what I've seen in healthcare too, when that people say, "I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you the tools you need to succeed and and show you how to use them, and then I'm gonna walk with you the whole time. I'm not gonna just abandon you." So like when I go to these underserved communities and we set up like a climbing club there, I don't just leave and just leave like. I go back periodically and check in. I climb with them. I have fun. I, I see how they're doing. We email. I'm, I make myself very accessible. And so I think once you do that, the people realize, oh, you're not patronizing me. You are actually including me in this world of climbing and mm. these sports. Like That makes me feel valued. So when I walk in the climbing gym, if the climbing gym is like, oh, shit, it's a person in a wheelchair, everybody stop and go over and like, let's, that feels really weird. Um, you know, just, and just simple things you can do with folks like, you know, like I always equate like a prosthetic leg in a wheelchair to a woman with a big chest. Like the woman <laughs> okay. with the big chest knows you're staring at her chest <laughs> every time, right? Yeah. You're not fooling her. Yeah. The person in the wheelchair and the person with the prosthetic leg knows you're staring at them. Yeah. It's just, people suck at hiding this stuff. It's like, if you want to, if you want to make that person feel at ease, go over and talk to them, ask them. The thing that makes me feel great is when somebody comes over and goes, hey, how'd you lose your leg? Mm. Just ask. Like, if you want to fucking know, ask. How did you get in the wheelchair? What happened? Tell me your tell me your story quickly. Like, give me your, whatever, your elevator pitch it is. Mm. I was on a train in Boston once and this dude rolled in on a wheelchair and I had, a, no, I had pants on. Um, I never wear pants. And for some reason I had pants on that day. And he rolls in and he, he rolls right next to me. And I was like, hey, how long you been in the chair? And he looked at me and he goes, what did you just say? <laughs> and I said, oh, fuck, I'm about to get kicked, my ass kicked. And I said, how long you been in the chair? And he's like, why? And I pulled my pant leg up and he goes, oh, fuck. He's like, how'd you lose your leg? And I'm like, I told him and I was like, how long you been in the chair? We ended up having this great conversation wow. because it's just like, people don't ask that. They just stare and then that dude feels super self-conscious and then mm. God forbid somebody says something, he just fires back at you. Mm. Whereas if people just treated him like a human being, like we all wanna be treated, that's inclusivity to me. That's like, that's gonna make that person feel valued and that that person doesn't feel like, oh, I'm this freak. It's just a person, it's another person. You're just, you know, you don't look like I do. I don't look like you do. That's, none of us do. That's, we're all different. So that just embrace that and, the wheelchair is an extension of the person. The prosthetic is an extension of the person. It's just a human, right? Treat them like a human. That mm. makes people feel valued. And giving them that tool or tools to make them successful in that space. So for me, it's climbing. So I teach them, I teach the climbing gyms. This is how you can be, you know, if in a wheelchair, here's some of the things you can do to make them feel welcomed. If they're an amputee, here's some of the things that you can have on hand to make them climb really well, like, a, like an adaptive climbing foot, um, evolve, uh, made this climbing foot that cost $200. Like that could be in every gym across the country. Mm. That way when a person with an amputation comes in and says, well, I'm going to climb in a pair of sneakers. You're like, no, actually check it out. Put a climbing shoe on this foot, put this on your other prosthetic, on your prosthetic, dude, you can climb like a rock star. Wow. That's easy, right? That's an easy fix. And they feel like, oh shit, 
these guys are actually like, I'm just a climber now. And that's the end goal. That's what I always tell people. That that makes them feel valued, I think. So, mm. yeah. Well, that's amazing. That's such a good question, Graham. That and, is an amazing and question. And Craig's, yeah, such a good answer. Thank you guys both. This is kind of along the same vein. This is from Levi. Levi writes, hey, Craig, Levi here. I am a hearing disabled climber. My buddy CJ is an AMGA guide and a below the knee amputee. Damn. He does some work with veterans, but we have both always felt like there isn't a real central working group for climbers with disabilities. I'm a California state employee and each department has a disability advisory committee so we can weigh in on important matters such as education, reasonable uh, accommodations, discrimination, et cetera. I guess my rambling is attempting to ask if there are any networks currently available for disabled climbers. And if not, how might we go about creating one? That's an amazing question. Um, God, that's great, Levi. Uh, so there isn't like a centralized group of climbers. There's definitely threads on Mountain Project. There's threads on Facebook and Instagram where like there's paraclimbing groups um, that are competing. So they're definitely compete competition centered. Um, so if you want to compete, you can go to USA Climbing and you can find the paraclimbing tab that will engage you in that group. But as far as just like climbers who are just like lifestyle climbers or just like want to do it all the time every day, but not compete, then that's a little bit harder. And so that's going to be, I think, more compartmentalized to like where you live. So if you're in California, Levi, then you're going to want to look into, I would start at the climbing gym and throw what I do is like, if I go to a climbing gym, I'll send posters out ahead of me, just advertising that an adaptive group is going to meet because usually the adaptive people in that area just don't even know. So mm. if they come into the gym or they know someone who's a, like a, a person with a disability, they'll say, oh my God, on Tuesday, this dude Craig's going to be there. We should go over there. And they'll come in and that's how those groups get started. And then like the end goal is to have like a grassroots kind of community club model. Um, so, you know, everyone's meeting in that general area nationally, there's not really anything happening like that, which is kind of a drag because we should do that. Um, just for information's sake, you know, like just being able to say, Hey, my stump hurts. Like does this, my prosthetic is this, like, does anyone else have that problem? There's support groups. I, uh, so I'll piss off the support group community. Now I have, I have had very bad experiences at support groups when mm. I, I've, I've been to two, that's it. I walked in, it felt like everybody was just like in a shitty mood and a, on a, kind of a pity train. And I was like, okay, I'm out of here. This is hmm. stupid. So I'm not a huge fan of that. That's me personally. Like that is not across the board. And I think some people should be there and get a lot out of them. I feel like it would be great if we had like a central hub of like very active amputees and disabled folks who were willing to trade information back and forth. Hmm. Um, I'm an open book with stuff. Like if someone asks me a question, I'll answer as honestly as I can. And I think like it would be great to do it. I just don't have the bandwidth to be the person who would ever head that up. Um, uh, hopefully, maybe somebody listening to this goes, "Oh, I have the skill set to do that." That mm. would be. I would gladly pitch in how I could, but right now there isn't that kind of a thing. I, like anyone I speak to in the disability community is like just friends that I've met, um, groups that I've worked with, things like that. So, to centralize that and have a, like a a way to aggregate information out to people would be amazing. Mm. That would be amazing. That's like next level, actually. That's a fantastic idea. And maybe these guys are the guys to do that. Yeah. 
yeah, yeah there maybe you go. this this is the spark right exactly. here right now exactly um i usually save this for the end but i'm curious how can people connect with you and i'm, I'm also curious if you do any remote online coaching consultations anything like that with people yeah it's it, i'm easy to find so um you can email me at craig demartino at gmail.com you can go to my instagram which is at craig dem d-e-m um facebook's just my name again um and you can hit me up and just tell me what you need what you're looking for uh for to come out to groups i go out i i coach people privately if they want coaching privately if they want i do a lot of speaking gigs um, where I'll just go out and talk to groups, um, some businesses, some disability groups, really whatever they they want. Um, but again, I try to be transparent and accessible as, as much as I can. Hmm. And if you come to Puerto Rico, I'll be in Puerto Rico. So there you go. <laughs> <laughs> we'll circle back to that. <clears throat> this is a question from Andrew and, and the uh, Evolve Foot made me, uh, is, is a good segue into this actually. So Andrew writes, hey, Craig, have you ever experimented with different leg prosthetics that are suited for a particular move or route? I seem to recall Hugh Hare having such things and getting <laughs> grief from some individuals. I'd be interested to hear your thoughts on it either way. Oh, man. Um, yeah, so actually, so I work with Arc'teryx as an athlete. I've been with them for many, many years. And we did a film uh, last year, about a year little more than a year ago called Out on a Limb. Um, and I worked with Kai Lin, who's an, a, a, a really cool industrial designer in, in I was gonna New ask York. you about him. He's awesome. Yeah. And so Kai reached out to me with this leg he called the Klippa, which is Swedish for cliff. I just learned that actually. And uh, <laughs> he was like, hey man, what do you think of this? And at first I was like, ooh, I don't know. That looks kind of funky to me. Um, and we chatted back and forth and then we just didn't talk anymore. And then Arcturex, uh found his project online and we we, kind of reconnected and we built a foot um, modeled after the clipper, which was just a, a foot designed to go in thin cracks and Wacos um, because I really like the thin crack climb. And so my foot, the Evolve foot doesn't go in the cracks. It's always on the outside. And so this foot was going to be engineered to go into the crack actually. And that's kind of what Hugh Hare experimented with as well. And, and what he's references in, referencing is Hugh changed the height of his legs so he could be taller or shorter depending on the moves he was working and people gave him a lot of grief for that but i mean whatever he didn't Did, have, didn't he have some he like axe blade foot that he used for city park yeah he used index. city park is the one specifically he got a lot of grief for he yeah. changed his height on that one okay. and so the then the hatchet foot would go in and stay in the crack pretty well and so people gave him a lot of grief like he's you know he's cheating is what they were saying basically right which got into this whole other sideshow thing that isn't worth our time but like um <laughs> yeah. this foot that we engineered was a cool idea um kai's idea was to return some energy into the the leg like the my foot is is static and doesn't give energy back i can't feel it i don't know what it's doing i have to climb by sight mm. his idea was to give some kind of energy back so that I would actually get some propulsion up off of a hold, kind of mm. like when our toes push us. You kind of created like a mechanical Achilles heel. Correct, right? okay. correct. Yeah. The problem was me exerting so much force on our toes, um, which is incredible how much we actually press down, I would break the, the foot <laughs> all the time. So <laughs> wow. if you watch the film, um, I broke the foot three times in the film. And, yeah. and after the third time we stopped. And so- Oh, really? Yeah, it's pretty Damn. funny. Um, Ark was like, we love this film and we want to keep doing this. So you guys, we're going to stop filming, but you guys can keep talking and figuring things out. And so Kai and I, we stay in touch. Okay. Um, we haven't tweaked it anymore since I broke it the last time. I, 
I'm actually not sure where the, the foot went on tour, which was really funny to me. Um, Art kind of did the, when the film was out, they kind of sent the foot around, which is really funny to me. It was in this like plexiglass Craig's box. not here, but. Yeah, Craig's not here, but that's his foot. So I thought that was pretty fun. Um, but yeah, the, the foot is a really cool idea. Um, it's just, it would take some dollars to get behind it to say, okay, we'll make it so that it, you know, doesn't break anymore. Um, and Kai is definitely the guy to figure that out. He's a genius um, mm. for sure. And it's like the Evolve Foot. The Evolve Foot does so many things really well. But like when you get into those specific things, like, okay, I want to climb this route that has these Wacos that are one inch tall by, you know, three quarters of an inch deep. I want something to go in that. Well, that's a real specialty item at mm. that point. And it's just so cost prohibitive to, to do. So nobody's doing that really because it's, it's expensive and they're one-off things. So yeah. yeah. It'd be nice. Yeah. More more generally, do you swap out your leg for hiking versus climbing versus other activities? Yeah. So I have a hiking I have a walking leg that I walk in with and I have my my legs on my backpack usually like a it's like an arrow. And then <laughs> like uh, an arrow. and then I have my climbing foot. Yeah. So you look like Hawkeye, you're like whip the thing out. Um yeah. So that that's, that's like great. it's pretty and I only have one climbing. I, I use the evolve foot always, um, because okay. it, it climbs a huge Gen it can climb a lot of things really well, so it, it it spreads the spreads the load out pretty well. Okay, I'm looking at it now, so it looks like a four year old. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like like fancy approach shoe exactly. hybrid climbing it, shoe. It looks kinda. like a child. Like I took it from a child and and then went climbing with it. And then it, I, it's really and, rounded. They couldn't put more round. of a toe on there. Well, we kind of messed around with it, but like you break the when it's really pointy, mm. that's when it breaks off, and too so much. and and you tear the rubber too. So that's the oh, other. Okay. Thing with our feet, you know, we have a lot of the the rubber when it touches the rock. The compliance there is like one that it gives some give, and mm. there's some some give and take. Whereas when you put it on something static and hard, it just tears the rubber. Mm. So there is no give. So that foot actually does. It has a a wee bit of flexion in it, but like when you start to really narrow that point down, that that force just gets too much and it tears the rubber off. Mm. And so you can maybe do like, I think I could do one route, and then it would. I'd have to resole it basically. So wow. that's like wow. kind of silly, right? Like that's, yeah. you're not gonna do that over and over. So uh -huh. there's ways to tweak with that. There's, I mean, there's definitely thing. I've worked with the Colorado School of Mines like on different thing projects. And that's what you always bump up against is like, how do you make it last like a pair of shoes, right? Like that's hard to do. Yeah. It's weird. Yeah, that make God, I'm having so much appreciation for my feet right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, that's amazing. You should. It's, it's incredible what our feet do, right? Yeah. Like, on a daily basis, we have no, there's so many bones, tendons, and ligaments doing things that you don't even think of. Like, yeah. it's incredible. When we started to measure the, the pounds per square inch that we throw climbing, it's staggering what we do. Like, our toes should, they should shatter, but they don't. It's incredible. It's incredible. It's like, again, we go back to that machine. Like amazing. it is such an amazing machine. What our body is. It's mm. like you, when you start to try to make it like in a, in a lab and replicate it, it's, it's almost impossible. It's wow. crazy. Right. Like, I love that. I know so cool. it's insane. It's insane. That's so cool. Okay. This is uh, another question. This is from Eli and this ties into kind of the final subject that I wanted to to ask you about, which is your own climbing and the yeah. evolution of your climbing. And um, yeah, some of the highlights, I guess, since your accident, Eli asks in the 20 years since his fall, what's been the hardest lesson he's learned? What have been some of the best and most encouraging ones? Oh, wow. Um, 
I think the hardest thing for me was to let go of who I was before as a climber. Mm. Um, not the human part, like the, just the regular part. I, I have, an, have and still have a great support network um, in my wife and family. And so I was always, I felt solid there. Like I didn't feel like that was going to be weird. Um, but as the climber, all of a sudden I was like, oh God, who the hell is this going to be going forward? Um, and so learning like to let go of like, okay, this is how I used to do things. Um, that doesn't work anymore. That that was a hard pill for me to swallow. I'm like, well, I'm just going to train and I'll learn that. And now if I try to do that, my body will just shut down. It just won't do that. Mm. So my leg will hurt too bad. My back will hurt too bad. And so having to relearn like, okay, who am I now as a climber? That was a, that was a long process for me. And I would say it's still, there's still that part of you. I, sometimes I feel like that the guy who's like, you know, he peaked in high school on the football team and he's like, oh, I used to be really, I still sometimes catch my brain going, God, you used to be able to just grab on edges and just be like hangboard for days and days and days and never an issue. And now it's like my shoulder, where like where I tore my shoulder up is like, no, we're mm. not going to do that. So I have to be more strategic. Um, but the, the other side of that is also one of the cool things that I've learned is that like, it's taught me to be strategic and be more, um, deliberate about how I do things like, okay, I have a small window, so I want to, I want to capitalize on that window. So if I'm like projecting a route, I know that, okay, I'm going to have this window to, to do that in. So let's make sure I make the most of that. So like, let's not dick around. Like let's, if we're going up there, let's, let's go up there and really try like, hard. Like per um, day yeah. before your body starts Correct. fighting I, you. I, I remember like one of the, I was friends with Hayden Kennedy and he was, one of the funniest, most profound people I've ever met and, and hung out with. And one of the things he used to always say was, when you get up there, don't take no for an answer. Mm. And at first, when when I first heard him say that, I was like, I don't understand that. But then you get up there and you're like, oh, he's just saying, fucking try. Like, if mm. you're going to go up there, just try, try hard. Like, it's okay. Like, you don't have to do that every time. And I don't. I Like, there's days I go out and I just want to be happy and have fun climbing 511, right? And I'm perfectly content to do that. But there are days where you're like trying something hard and he would just say that, like, just don't take no for an answer up there. And, you're, and I, I'll get up there and I'll still hear his voice and go, yeah, I'm going to get up here and I'm going to not take no. I'm going to fucking try hard, right? And I'm going to do it. And maybe I won't, but like, that's okay. I'm going to try hard. At least if I try hard, I'll feel good. And I think that's really valuable. I mm. think I didn't understand that before I got hurt. Like, had Hayden said that to me as an able-bodied person, I probably would have been like, meh, whatever. Mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. that's him being funny. But now, like with his passing and with just my history now, I go, yeah, that's like you can almost equate that in every part of your life, right? Like, just don't take no for an answer. Like so, some days you're gonna get told no, and that's the way it is. But like you can also dictate that somewhat. And so when we get up there and I feel like sometimes we get up there and we're like, ah, oh, it's really hard, it's really uncomfortable. Yeah. That's rock climbing. Yeah, it's <laughs> not easy rock today. Climbing. It's not easy. Gravity feels really hard some days. <laughs> right. um, and rock climbing is like, we joke about this. Rock climbing is really hard. Like yeah. it's freaking hard to lift your body up over these rocks. And yeah. yet we still think it's fun and we want to do it. And so don't forget that. Like it's it's good. Right. And I, I just think it's so funny and weird because I do this all the time. I'm like, I'm intentionally seeking out the very hardest thing that exactly. I might be able to do. Exactly. And I might not be able to do. Exactly. And then when it feels hard, I'm like, what the fuck? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> How, why can't I do this? Yeah. And I remember, do you know who Brendan Leonard is? Yeah. He's he's another good friend. What is his, um, 
What is what is his website or his thing? Oh, um, what's the name of it? Oh God, if you hadn't, I could have told you. <laughs> he's gonna be mad at me. Yeah. Um, he one day we were talking and he said he's I'm blanking. like, Damn. I'm totally blanking, and that's so bad. Um, I can picture the logo in my brain. That's so bad. Um, I can edit this. He said uh, we were talking and he said when I when I think I'm taking climbing too seriously, he's like, I try to think of like how would I explain climbing to my grandma. <laughs> and he's like, well, grandma, I'm going to climb up this really hard part. And I'm, and when I get to the top, I'm just going to take the rope through those two things up there. And then I'm just going to come back down. <laughs> and he's like, that sounds fucking stupid. Like, he's like, just don't lose sight of that. And I'm yeah. like, that's good to know. That's good and to know. I get know. to the top every time, but I'm not satisfied but I'm, because I took one break. Right. I, yeah, I'm yeah, keep oh doing God, it. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I didn't climb all the way without stopping. And grandma's going to be like, well, honey, you made it to the top. And he's yeah. like, yeah, but I, no, I didn't. Now I yeah. got to go back and do it again. <laughs> He's like, just just remember that. And I'm like, that's really good advice. Semi-rad. Semi-rad. Gosh, yeah. that's horrible. That was going to bug me yeah. for the rest of the day. I know, right? right. <laughs> Sorry, Brendan. <laughs> <laughs> I apologize ahead. We love your artwork. Exactly. <laughs> okay. Final listener question. Actually, I have one on my cell phone from uh, our friend Ken Klein that, I might, that we might have time for too. But this is another one from Eli. He, he asks... And we started our conversation with this. What advice might you have for other climbers with kids? Oh, man. That's pretty broad. but That's pretty broad. But, you know, it's it's fun to me because, like, what, having watched our kids grow up in this climbing world is um, d- don't, like, we, we lowered our bar so far when we started with kids. Like, initially, we were just like, oh, we're just going to get out together, and that's going to be good enough. Um, and initially, I think I thought we have to make them climb. Like, I think I thought like, even if they only climb like one part of a route in retrospect, I think that was a mistake. I don't think you need to do that even like, mm. cause they're going to gravitate towards it on their own. They'll just be curious. So what I learned and Cindy and I did, which was much more successful was, Hey, we're going to be in this place for two weeks. So we're going to camp here. We're going to eat here. We're going to live here. We're going to climb here you can do whatever you want. Like you can climb, we would take bikes um, and we would climb for like half a day. Like we would maybe get two or three, four pitches in, you know? And then we would go wander through the woods. We'd build forts together. That was way more successful as opposed to us saying, you have to tie in and climb now. Mm. Because then they were just like, I don't wanna really do that. Like I'm not in the mood. And once we embraced that and said, okay, the (laughs) bar's way down, then they were like all in, right? Like they would just run through the woods and <laughs> that was great. And they, we would always go with another family. So we would, they would have friends, you know? And so they were just those hooligans running through the woods, just doing stupid shit like that. Mm-hmm. We all did growing up, you yeah. know, like I jumped off that thing cause I thought it was a great idea. And then they get stitches and it's, it's, <laughs> it's all, it's all part of growing up. Right. Yeah. Like we yeah. came back from um, Penitente one year and our son, I swear to God would have been taken away by child protective services had someone seen us because <laughs> He touched a hot stove, so he had third degree burns on his oh. hand. He fell walking, running behind me, going into the canyon one day, and smacked his head and broke his eye, like above his eyebrow. He got a black eye. <laughs> and then driving home, we stopped at this thing to see this toy train, and he tripped on the sidewalk, and he skinned all the no, all the skin off his nose. <laughs> So we have photos of him. He would just come home. He was he was probably three. All he could see was owl. So he would just look at me and go, ow. And I'm like, oh my God, like if someone sees this, we're going to lose this child. Like this is fucking horrible. Uh, And yet 
he thinks it's hysterical now. Like, yeah, we show him pictures and he's like, oh my God, yeah, I totally remember that trip. He's like, that was really fun. I'm like, it wasn't, it was horrible, <laughs> but whatever. It's like he just, right. it's, they have fun doing whatever you're doing. It's just include them and they'll, one day they'll just tie in and they'll want to climb. You know, that's just how that'll work. That's cool. Yeah. That's so cool. I've thought a lot about kids. I have no idea if I'm going to have kids, but I, I've talked, I always have this conversation with friends who are deciding or have kids and yeah, there is this kind of attitude, like I'm doing this selfish thing and I feel right. bad dragging my kid along. But then you right. you kind of zoom out and look at it and I'm like, I would have loved that. Absolutely. Just playing in the dirt, like totally. at the base of the cliff. For two like, weeks at a time what else or a week you, at a time. What are you doing anyway? Right. Like you're just at home doing the same thing, but you have well, less Well, and like, they would be home, like our son, his default would be like, he'd play a video game at home. Like yeah. he loves to play video games. So when they're out there, there's no video game. So it's mm -hmm. awesome. So, and they're getting you pretty uninterrupted. So like, yeah, you're climbing pitches, but like, you're not like doing, you're not projecting your hardest route, right? Like your, your bar's low. So you're just <laughs> trying to get some pitches in and then you're playing with them, right? So like they have you pretty uninterrupted for however long you're there. So that's pretty, I mean, that's pretty cool. I think, I don't think that's selfish. Um, I think if anything, you're exposing them to a really healthy lifestyle at that point. Mm. That's what I tell myself. <laughs> that makes me feel better. Yeah. Uh, and they, and I, I mean, I think our kids turned out great, right? Yeah. So I love hanging out with our kids and, and not that they're, you know, you still have challenges obviously, but um, I think you're exposing them to a really healthy thing and that they can then embrace however they want to, you know, mm. like that's why I don't think you should force it on them. Um, and especially like as they get like to those teen, preteen years, you know, then it's like, you're not cool no matter what. Like, <laughs> you know, you're just an idiot. So right. people joke with that, us all the time. They're like, yo, your kids must have thought you were really cool. And I'm like, no, I'm their dad. Right. She's their mom. Like, you're still grounding them. You're taking their phone and shit. <laughs> you know, like, you're still a dick, right? You're the parent. So now it's great. But like, you know, yeah, you're still- It's come full circle. Absolutely. That's absolutely. Awesome. Yeah, we, our son just had his 21st birthday and my wife and him had drinks together. So I'm like, that's fucking right. That's like, a big, that's a big shift right there. Oh, it's that's huge. so fun. It's huge. And yeah, he was like, I, can all order I was like, wow, this is your first drink ever. And he goes, yeah, totally. And I'm like, <laughs> so it's super fun to like have those conversations now. Yeah. It's fun yeah. to watch it come full circle for sure. That's yeah. awesome. What have been some of the most gratifying, rewarding climbs since the injury? Would have been some oh, of the, the most yeah. meaningful. The stuff I, I mean, the stuff I did in Yosemite is always super special to me. You know, going back there and not really thinking I could climb at that level again, like get on an aid route and try to free as much as I can. Like, I just didn't think that was going to be a thing that I could do anymore. Um, just trying to move fast up El Cap, you know, like going back and climbing Lurking Fear uh, with Hans Florin. Like that was, and him being like willing, like, mm. hey, we're just going to go his attitude was infectious to me. Like, I was like, I just don't want to die. And his, <laughs> he was like, well, we're definitely not going to die and we're going to go up fucking fast. And I'm like, okay. Well, he spoke really highly of you too. Well, it's like, he, this guy knows what he's doing. He's, he's legit. Sweet. Yeah, yeah. He's, I mean, he's, he's a nice person. But, but you like, can't bullshit that. Like you, you must be, I mean. You well, yeah, just... you, you, I mean, yeah. I mean, you'd like to think you're competent, right? Like, yeah. and so when we started like talking, he would, was definitely quizzing me like, okay, okay. Like, I don't want to fucking like lead everything and you just like drag behind me like an anchor. Like, right. and, I, and obviously I didn't want to do that either. But like when we got out there, he was like, okay, well, here's a sharp end. Like, <laughs> let's see what happens. And so it was like, oh fuck, here we go. And so, you know, then you're just like, you're just clicking as a team and he and, he and I worked together really well. And so, um, you know, that first, but that first route, like I, I didn't really feel comfortable 
until about halfway up. Like then I was like, oh, okay, I don't think we're going to die. And I actually said that to him, like, <laughs> pitch eight or 10. I was like, hey, I don't think we're going to die. And he's Dude, like, get... yeah, he's like, what the fuck's wrong? Like, why did you think that? And then uh, one of the funniest things that I've, I've ever done, and he and I have climbed a lot together. Um, one of the funniest things I've ever done to him was when we were repelling the route, I had a helmet on and a new, uh, it was a new headlamp on my helmet. And I think I might've told this to clues. Maybe I didn't. We were rapping. I don't, I don't remember this. We were super, t like we did it in 14 hours, right? So I was elated. I'm like, oh fuck, yeah, we're that on top. Legit, 14 hours, I was dude. super excited, right? Yeah. He's like, okay, let's wrap off and let's get out of here. So I'm like, okay, well, like halfway down, you're fucking tired, right? Like it's 22 pitches. You're like, repel, repel, repel. One Around pitch seven, you do this pretty long traverse. And so when you repel, you have to come in tension over to the anchor, right? It's just like 60 feet or whatever. He went first. He's like, I know right where the anchor is. I'm like, cool. So I had my headlamp on and I was kind of dicking around with it because my helmet was itchy. And so I was like scratching my head and Hans goes down. He's, he clips in the anchor. I hear him. I feel him go off and I pull the rope. I get on. And as I'm wrapping down, I looked, I tipped my head and my headlamp fell off. <laughs> and so it's like, you know, it's like tomahawking. It's plummeting right, light. It's just plummeting. And so oh. he's 60 feet to my left. And so the headlamp is like shoom, going and it goes past him. And I don't say anything. I didn't even yell rock because I knew we were alone. And I wait and I hear him go, Craig. And I was like, a dick thing to do would not be to answer. So I just waited. And then I hear him go, Craig. And then I yell, I just start laughing. And he's like, you stupid mother. And I was like, God, that was fucking awesome. And I get down to him and he's like, what happened? And I'm like, I lost my fucking headlamp, my brand new headlamp. And he's like, you could have yelled rock or something. I'm like, nah, it was I knew where you were. That is so yeah. cruel, dude. dude. Awesome. That's so awesome. messed up. That's awesome. so and funny. And I still lost my headlamp. Um, yeah. But he'll drive. <laughs> in, in defense of me, um, <laughs> at the very top, there's a there's a section. I can't remember. It's right below Thank God Ledge, I think, or the Thanksgiving Ledge, whatever that's called. Uh, the cave. He, I went to hand him a bunch of number ones. And we bobbled it and dropped them. Oh. And we, I think it was like three of them. And we drop it and he just looks at me and he goes, oh, we don't need those anyway. And I'm like, we don't? And he's like, no, we fucking need those. Yes, of course we need those. <laughs> and I'm like, shit. And so luckily we were like three pitches from the top. So we, we could kind of cobble that together. But like, he's just <laughs> awesome. And so the, anything I did with him, like the, the naiad with him was awesome. Um, nose in a day. Yeah, in a, awesome. Nose in a day, sorry. Um, and then even That's like okay. with Jeremy and Pete climbing Zodiac um, over five days, that was just such a fun experience. Like terrifying at times, like hooking and going, I'm never doing this again to like being able to experience that with them and just just the genuineness like of let's just see what happens. And <laughs> we'll, I guess we'll find out. And um, that was just super fun. And then climbing um, with Cindy, just traveling with Cindy and just like, Climbing in Greece and some of the routes I've done there and climbing. Um, you guys mostly sport climb? We mostly sport climb now. Like in the past, I would say 10 years, we've mostly sport climb, like mm -hmm. single pitch sport climb or, or like long route sport climbs, like, uh, you know, Portrero Chico, things like that. Okay. Um, I love doing that stuff with her because she's my favorite climbing partner. And so we, we just That's have the awesome. best time together um, and just love, you know, finding stuff together and climbing together. Um, we complement each other when we climb. Uh, so it's, it's, a great combination um and so anything i've done with her, i've like i've done my hardest routes with her you know anything i've done like a really hard red point like that was hard for me she's been there um same with me for her so it's like it's really fun to share that with her and and be able to 
say, hey, I'm going to go. She gets it. Like if I say, I really do want to go try this route. And and same with her to me and to be able to support her and help her do that. Um, she climbs so much stronger than I do. She's just so- Oh, really? Oh God, she's so fucking strong. It's, <laughs> right now, specifically, she's so fucking, it's, it pisses me off how strong she is. <laughs> I'm just like, God damn, like you don't get, she doesn't seem to get tired to me. Like she doesn't get injured. She just can yard on stuff. And so it's actually Sick. really fun to watch her climb now because she's so dialed in. Um, so yeah, and now she wants to really, she's never developed. Um, mm. So part of this move to Puerto Rico is like, there's so much limestone there that can be developed. Um, we're going down with a brand new drill. And just, so she's like, I really want to drill and develop. And I'm like, okay, it's it's not super fun all the time. Yeah. It's like yeah. kind of a junk show, but like, you're going to love it. And yeah. so it'll be fun to experience that too. So yeah. That's so awesome. It's all fun. It's, I love the routes that we've done together and we've done aid routes together you know she likes to wall climb mm. she used to do it like to do it more like now it kind of hurts her hands like you know climbing you know how that is your knuckles start to hurt and okay so grabbing draws and pulling is not so good anymore for her um but it's like yeah i've done you know any of the big routes i've done or hard routes i've done with her are super memorable to, to me you know stuff we've done in greece has been super fun like things that i just didn't think i would get up and mm. you know just her saying no i think you know, sometimes you need to hear your partner say that mm. and you go, oh yeah, maybe I can go ahead and do that. And, yeah. Uh, I, I don't always think that way. Like I'm going to fucking do this. It's like, sometimes I'm like, I'm not going to do this. And then <laughs> she'll be like, no, I think you can. And you're like, oh yeah, wait, maybe I, maybe she knows something I don't know. So go up and give her and see what happens. That's, so, yeah, that's amazing. It's fun. I love that. Have you climbed your hardest routes since the injury? <laughs> she would be laughing if she was sitting here. I've, I've actually climbed... I think a full number grade and a half harder. That's what I, I thought. Yeah, you've, you're back up to what? You've climbed dumb. a bunch of 513s, right? No, no, no. Up to hard, at 113, uh, but like hard 512. I used to, okay. when I had two legs, I used to climb, like the hardest I climbed was like 11C. So what's up with that? I have no freaking clue. So my wife's, my <laughs> what, wife's What were theory, you missing before? I have no idea. Evidently a prosthetic. Leg weight. Um, prosthetics, or I don't know. Is your, is your prosthetic even lighter than your... Than your old That's uh, about the same. It's, it's about, about the same. The same. Okay, yeah. so it's not that. No, so what she was like, your footwork before you got hurt was shit. Okay. And she's like, so now you actually pay attention to your feet. And I think <laughs> I think she's probably right. Yeah. Because like I would get to like mid 5'11 and all of a sudden I'd be like, oh, I can't, I'm just going to try to like campus shit. And like, you can't do that. That, that, that right. very rarely works. Whereas now it's like, oh, I have to, because I can't feel my foot and I can't feel the prosthetic. I have to like look at what I'm doing and pay attention to it. Mm. Like, oh, when I down pressure, I really have to be thinking, put pressure down. Like, you know, you can't feel that. So push, like know that you're pushing and engage your core and do all these things that we should be doing. Mm. I really pay attention to that now, I think. And so I, I, all of a sudden, I remember when I first went over 512, I was just like, what the fuck? Like, I could never climb 512 as an able body climber. I just was like, I'm never going to climb that grade. And then all of a sudden wow. I did a 12A and I was like, I was with Matt Salmon. And Matt's like, oh, cool, dude. He's like, he's like, that's cool. He's like, have you done that before? And I'm like, I've never done that before. And he's like, oh, since you got hurt. I'm like, no, I, like, I've never done that. Like, I've never done that before. And he was like, what the fuck? And I'm like, I know, that's really weird. And then I started like doing more and more. And then like I did 12D and I was like, what the fuck is happening? Like, that's some weird shit right there, but it worked. I don't know. 
I have no, I wish I could. <laughs> was it like branching out into other styles? Like, I mean, you, you're climbing no. more steep stuff now. Well, right? yeah, but no, I like, I did that before. Okay. Like I, cl- I tried to climb. You weren't just stuff. like a tradster trying like really heinous. No, and I would like climb, like I would climb. Yeah, right. I would climb. Because that, like, that is an explanation. Is a, like that, there's that, some that, old that school be, people. Oh. I'm like, well, yeah, the reason you never climbed 513 is because like granite face slab 513 is heinous right there's not a hold dude no yeah and no i wish it was that i wish i was like (laughs) i only climbed thin cracks before no it was like i think i just thought i don't know i wish i i don't have an answer that's so terrible too it's like it's funny to me yeah so like 11c to whatever 12d that's more than a great nap so like that shouldn't it shouldn't that yeah, shouldn't. and you've climbed to 513? Yeah, okay. one. And it's like- Which one? In uh, the Red River Gorge, uh, uh, Dirty Hippie. Oh, sick. Um, but it's like- Isn't that a B? Yeah, but then somebody you? said it's soft. So Okay, well- So I was like, okay. It's still, still. Yeah. Dude. Which is funny, which is really funny, because like, <laughs> even that route, I was there with this one guy one day, and he was on it. And I was like, well, no, I'm not getting on that. And then he was like, dude, just try it. It's fixed. Who cares? And I'm like, oh yeah, it's fixed. Right. So I went up and I got all the way out to the crux. And I was like, oh fuck, that didn't feel that bad. Like that felt pretty good. Okay, I just need to sort this shit out. And then sorted it out over a couple different trips. And then said I did it. And they were like, well, that's really soft though. And I was like, oh <laughs> shit, okay, whatever. So then maybe not, I don't know. 13A is where I topped out. I don't know. I don't know. 13, like a soft 13B is still harder than a harder than 12d you know? right it's like well yeah right so it's like yeah. it's, it's funny to me and i don't even i don't even when people ask me i don't even say that number i always say 12d oh really I feel, well because i feel confident saying that like okay be, just because like i was talking well, with cedar right 13a you're locked in there like you've you know soft. i mean maybe i don't fuck <laughs> how soft is it i don't know um because i heard eric horse talk about it and he was like oh, i thought it was hard and then i heard this other person at the red talk about it and they're like no dude that's you not. can't trust those people no i know See, they're, they're so those are the strong. people like they've already done omaha and then they can like lap dirty hippie whenever they want to and they're and like the, and, actually it's really soft and i'm like exactly I bet, I bet it wasn't soft when it was at your limit well and that's i know that yeah. I know. And that's the, the person who said that. I was like, God, that guy's really fucking strong here. So maybe he's right. And then you walk they away and you're like. They perspective, man. They do. Same and thing happens at Smith. Oh, God. They're like, this 13C is actually 13A. And I'm like, well, you climb 14C, so you don't really know how, exactly. pa- how pumpy exactly. it is. Because you can rest all over it. But I, I was, I was, I would work, I work with Blue Water and Cedar Wright was doing a bunch of their marketing stuff once. And he would, he and I were talking about that very thing and he was like well i'm gonna put that down i'm like don't put that down just put 12d and he was like (laughs) he's like why and i'm like because i don't feel good about that and he was like you're fucking weird and i'm like okay but i don't feel good about like i know other adaptive climbers who who, who climb solid 13a and i'm like that's fucking rad like you should do that like they've climbed multiples and i haven't and so i i go i've climbed multiple 12ds and feel confident there okay but like i just I hate when people, I, you know, you hear it and you're like, eh, God, they're right. They're totally right. I'm just going to not, I'm going to let that thing go. I need to go back and climb it. And okay. with perspective, I think now mm. of, <laughs> and now I don't know if I could climb it. Um, Cause I was, that was a while ago. Um, and now I'm like, I should go back and try it again. Because I was, I went and, oh God, what's the thing out at Torrent? Um, oh God, uh, it's on the 12 wall. Um, Where's Torrent? What is Torrent this? Falls in the Red River Gorge. Oh, okay. okay. There's a 512 wall and on the left-hand side, there's a 12C and I'm blanking on the name of it. Um, 
and I watched uh, this guy Pete Chesse climb it, and he's a monster, and he's missing his leg. He before he got hurt, he climbed like 14C, 14D. Damn. He's he was a crusher, and then he got his leg he got his leg crushed, and he went back to climbing, and he was routinely climbing like 13A. And I watched him climb this route, and I was like, oh my god. Dude, he was so motivating. And I, so I got on this route and I one fell it. And I was like, I'm coming back next year and I'm going to climb that. And I went back and I literally couldn't get to the third bolt. And I'm huh. like, what happened? Like, is it just because I'm not motivated? Does, I, I saw him do it. it. It felt so hard to me. And huh. so then I was like, do I want to go back to hippie and try it? Or am I going to be like, well, fuck, I can't even do the first move now. So I'm just going to leave it alone. I don't know. I need something else to, yeah. Just do another one. Yeah, I Just need do to find something that's like my sweet spot and go, okay, I'm going to go work on that one. Yeah. Um, and it would probably be in the red because I like that style of climbing. I like the steep kind of stuff like that. Yeah. Um, I seem to do better on that kind of terrain. Like we did stuff at, out at like the, oh, what? I was with, I was with him too. Like there's a, there's a bunch of 12s at, at the, um, at drive-by that I've done and like, those always feel pretty good to me, like when I do them. But then I'll go and do some of the like really steep stuff, and I'm like, "Ooh, that feels horrible." Like mm. I'm not. I, there's like a sweet spot for me. That makes sense because like on that steep overhanging terrain, I'm just like looking at my right foot right now, imagining being on a steep wall. And if you can't articulate your Correct. ankle and toe in, Correct. You know, you're you stuck you at lose you're, that pressure. Yeah, you're stuck at a ninety, right, right, with your foot. Right. And I've seen like I've seen really good climbers there like who like when you're saying like they get on like Omaha and they're and you watch their body position mm -hmm. and they are so under tension the entire time like that tension never leaves their body right and I lose tension on my right side because uh as soon as I start to undo a little bit there's no toe to follow through yeah and so I I when I get on that kind of terrain when it's really really steep I have a hard time and so it's like interesting to find that sweet spot like I have a good pretty good results like in like in Greece and that kind of stuff like where there's tufas where I can get things stuck a little bit you know like mm. a, like a knee bar things like that um, but then I have a hard time in rifle because like rifle is like a lot yeah. of body position and leg position um so I have the knee bars are subtle very subtle yeah yeah um and so it's yeah it would have to now I'd have to really cherry pick mm. um I always wanted to go look at um easy rider okay there that Sick. Always, I saw a guy climbing at that the red. one. Yeah, at the red, and I was like, "Oh, that looks rad." Um, and then Cindy and I went there, and it was raining cats and dogs, and so mm. we never, we didn't even get to climb there. Um, but yeah, there's like, it, I, I think if I cherry picked something, it would be like better for my head, maybe. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. I'm curious. I, I'm thinking about like the Madness Cave, and I'm wondering yeah. if you were to get on like 40 ounces or something. Have you ever tried just leaving your right leg on the ground? Uh, so early just on, I did. the weight, yeah, just try on, one foot climbing. It, it made me feel really vulnerable. Huh. It felt like, oh my God, like, so you're like when you, a stump is like super sensitive. Okay. So when you have it in, in the shell of the prosthetic, it feels very safe and protected. Mm. As soon as you take it out, I feel really vulnerable. So like, even if I'm on crutches, I feel like, oh shit, like something is going to happen to my leg. I don't want to fall on my leg. And mm. so climbing with it off, I was like, oh God, like there's wow. too many things that can hurt me here. So I was very <laughs> uh, reluctant to do. I know huh. some people who are above the knee who climb without them because those prosthetics are very, very heavy. Yeah. So they'll take them off. I know a Spanish climber who's a bone crusher um, and he climbs without his leg and he's just so strong, so strong. And so I think there's time, a time and a place for that. It's just, for me, it's not, no, it's yeah. yeah.
I'd rather have the weight, I guess. You pull a Tommy Caldwell and just rub your little stump in some gravel every day and toughen that guy up or something? Yeah, he's like the most famous amputee. He's, 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 somebody called him that. Does that feel like bullshit? No, like, somebody Dude. called him that in a video once and I saw him laugh his ass off. I was like, oh my God, that was excellent. That was fantastic. Oh my God. I want to be that strong. That he's would be pretty amazing. good for an amputee. He yeah. does okay. He does okay. Yes, he does. Okay, so... Puerto Rico. <clears throat> I want to ask you about this in your move. I'm going to read a question I have from our friend Ken Klein. Kenneth. Kenneth. He writes, he's moving to Puerto Rico. Ask him what he'll miss most about the Fort Collins climbing scene or even how the scenes have changed or evolved since he's been climbing there for so long. Oh, wow. Yeah. The community here is really amazing in Colorado in general, the front range specifically and in, in Fort Collins. Um, we've been here a long time, so it's like it feels like family to us. And we're, the only reason we're moving is we just feel like a change. Um, kids are, you know, grown and we're just like, look, we love warm weather and limestone climbing. And so Puerto Rico kind of has that in spades. So I'll miss the people here. The people here are just outstanding. Um, they're just wonderful. They're giving and very community-based. Um, that said, the Puerto Rican climbing community is kind of the same. It's just much smaller. Mm. Um, they're very open and psyched and want to develop routes and want to have people come visit there and, and experience it. Um, cause the culture is really cool there. Um, which is what I think drew us to Puerto Rico was like the culture. And it's kind of fun to see and like be at the front end of something again, like here is very comfortable for us. And we've done the same stuff. You know, I, I, I know the routes here, I have them dialed, you know, I can go up and do, it's like the person at the red, like I can mm. go do a lap on something and I don't have to think about it, right? And so it's fun to go somewhere new and be like, oh yeah, I have to like try hard and like really experiment and learn. And I like that. Um, we don't speak Spanish, which that's even more exciting too. So I don't, there's a bit of a language barrier for us. And so it's like fun to like, just be at the front end of something new and exciting. It's like a new adventure, um, but I'll miss the people here. But I, yeah. we have told everyone here to come visit. And <laughs> everyone has said, okay, yeah, dude, we're on a plane. So yeah, yeah it'll be fun to share Sick. that with them too. So yeah. Are you gonna be able to continue doing the work that you do? Yep. So I will work with the nonprofit that I work with uh, that's based in Denver. And what's the name of it again? Adaptive Adventures. Okay. Uh, people can find it online if they're looking for resources at adaptive, adaptiveadventures.org. Okay. And they can, um, they serve uh, the veteran population there. That's actually how we got uh, introduced to Puerto Rico. They, uh, we went down there for work uh, oh, to work cool. with some disabled veterans. And so we were like, oh shit, we had no idea there was this much climbing here. And so we were like, okay, let's um, experiment and like see what the culture's like. And we really loved the culture and the, how welcoming they were. And so we just decided, okay, let's go ahead and do that. And we'll keep working down here. And I'll still come back to the States, the lower 48 um, to teach clinics. So I'll still work here in Fort Collins. I'll still work in, you know, all over the, the US. So keep doing what I'm doing, just based out of a different area. Nice. That's the idea. And when do you guys move? I go next week. Next uh, week? I go next Friday, Saturday, uh, to close on a house. And then Cindy comes down. I come back for four days to get our dogs. And then Cindy and I tag team. And then she goes and I put the dogs on a plane and then she picks them up and then I fly down right after the dogs. So we'll be there and <laughs> we'll be there totally in three weeks. Yeah. Wow. As a family again. That's awesome. I know. We're so excited. I'm so excited. It was cold the other morning and I was like, <laughs> oh God, I gotta go. <laughs> like it's too cold now. That's so yeah. funny. Cause I, I, 
I mean, I was able to skip winter last year, you oh. know? I went down to Waco. That's nice, Kind right? of first time ever that I've just, like, bypassed winter. Just and peace out. I loved it. I did not miss winter one bit. It's nice. But I woke up the other morning, too, in Estes, and it was cold, and I had to put my heater on, and I loved it. You're like, yes. Yes. Fall temps, man. Fall I temps got, are nice. I got psyched. I got really Fall psyched. temps, are, and that actually might be something we will miss, is, like, mm. that, that 60 degree window yeah. like i love that window um and they don't have a 60 degree window they have a <laughs> 70 degree window um but i like the thing i love is like we used to go down in february so we would leave here and it's like like one and you get off Degrees. the plane yeah you get off the plane <laughs> and it's 75 and you're like oh yes okay and yeah. everyone's walking around in shorts and flip-flops and you're like yep fuck that i'm mm -hmm. good um and that's what happened to us is we would come back so we would go down for like two weeks and then come back and it would still be one. And you're like, well, this sucks. <laughs> I can't go outside. I don't want to ice climb. I'm like freaking cold. And so, yeah, it's, it's I'm ready for, I'm ready awesome. to see how that works. Awesome. And we keep joking like, this could be a huge mistake, but we'll find out. We'll yeah. Just, um, no, I'm sure it'll be, I'm sure it'll it, be amazing. It I mean, is what it is. <clears throat> I also climbed all summer this year and, you know, tried to chase temps as best I could. But if you're in North America in the summer, you're just going to be in shirt, uh, shorts with no shirt most of the time. Right. And, and it's going to be I baking. I love that. It's fun. It, it's, it's a really nice It's feeling. relaxing. You don't have to like rewarm up between all your tries on your right. project. Yeah. You, know? you can like sit it down is, and chill and like, that yeah, is nice. I just, and I, and I was watching a bunch of people climb in Puerto Rico once and it's very community and like super friendly. And I was just watching like how chill they were. And I was like, I think that comes from being on an island because they're just like, you know, they do a burn and then they hang out and they're just like chatting and then they're like eating. And it felt very European to me almost. Mm. And I was like, I need that in my life. <laughs> That's a good thing right there. Yeah. So Cindy and I kind of feel like we always operate like, Cindy's that definitely operates higher than I do, like, like go, go, go. And she even like when she's there, I can see her change like after about a week where mm. she's just like, yeah, I'm going to go hang out and sit by the ocean. Cause that's, that's the beautiful thing is like, you can be climbing and be at the ocean in 20 minutes. You know, wow. it's like, it's a nice combo deal for us. So yeah, we're, we're excited to see how it all works. I was going to ask you, this just reminded me, I was going to ask you an hour ago, why do you rarely wear pants? Because with a prosthetic, it's a pain in the ass. Okay. So I take my- I was like, curious if it was like an identity thing. No, like no, no. It's just know. a pain in the ass. Okay. It's like, okay. even like as we're sitting here, I my leg is off. It's uh, I, I keep my stump in it, but it's just like, it's uncomfortable. Yeah. So it's just, I leave my leg. I usually just hang it over the top. Okay. So if you have pants on, you have to pull your pants leg up uh, out of the way, and then you have to put your leg and then you have to roll your pants. It's just a pain. So okay. Early on, I was like, this is- stupid like i'm not doing this so i just started wearing shorts and i have the added benefit of like with a spinal cord injury i can't feel my legs so oh. it can be freezing cold and i have no <laughs> idea so it's like it's just a perk of a spinal i was cord gonna injury. ask you if you shorts and like one leg warmer or something no it doesn't i can't feel it so it. <laughs> i just yeah i just like make sure i don't get frostbite in the winter i'm like you're a good barometer for storms terrible barometer for for don't ask me if it's yeah if it's cold like i'm just like maybe uh like see i'll put my toes in something like water or something and it's like sin will say that she's like oh uh -huh. God, it's freezing and i'm like nah is it is it <laughs> could be hot i don't know I, I i mean i can tell it's there like i can it's weird i don't know how to it feels like your foot's like wrapped in i don't know like a bunch of like layers of something and you so you know you're in it and you can feel the sensation of it but it doesn't 
resonate like that's really cold or that's really hot. Mm. It might be cooler or hotter, but like it's not. <laughs> ouch! It's it's just we- it's a mm. weird feeling. I can't. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah. I'm not explaining that very well. No, it's I very did, yeah, odd. It's yeah, very that, odd. Like softened or something, or just dulled. Dulled is, that's a, the is word. a good way to say it. Yeah, dulled. it's very dulled. Yeah. Um, yeah, very dulled. Hmm. Yes. What do you still hope to accomplish with your climbing? You know, I I think as I've gotten older, I what I really want to accomplish is I want to keep climbing from myself at a like at a challenging grade. I want to constantly challenge myself still, even as like I see these older climbers sometimes and, and they're still like crushing, like doing really really well. Um, I want to do that. I want to mm. be able to climb confidently like as i get older and climb like what i think is hard you know like so if it whatever that's going to be if it's 512 i still want to be able to go up there and like give it and like feel good about that Mm. instead of like oh you know can't really do that anymore so i'm just not gonna i've seen some climbers who like climbed really hard like when they can't do that anymore they just stop right and i've always i've just never understood it and i've always thought it was a kind of a tragic thing you know i just thought oh that sucks that that number was it um, mm. I kind of look at it more like, I just want to attach that physical trying hard. So whatever that's going to be. So like, I guess when I'm 70, it'll be five, eight will be really fucking hard, but like, I still want to be trying that hard. Um, cause I feel like that's really rewarding to me. Yeah. Um, not that I want to do it every day. Like I, there's, like I said, there's days I like to just go out and do fun laps, but I do really like when I go out and try hard. I like the way that feels still, even after all these years, I just love that feeling of, like I actually, like when I left the gym yesterday, I was did a gym session. Um, it was the first time I had a climbing shoe on since I broke my foot. And that feeling of like pulling and that, just that swimming feeling you get, I, I was like, oh fuck, that is so neat to do. Like we take that for granted and like, oh, I'm grabbing something small and pulling. That's really freaking neat. Um, yeah. I just never wanna, I want that to last forever. I just wanna do that till I die. I just think that would be so fun to me. That's just. It's so compelling and, and enticing and, and I just love it. Yeah. That's so great. I'm sitting here with a big smile on my face. I love that. <laughs> I love that, man. I love, I think what I appreciate and love so much about climbing is that that experience scales, you know, mm-hmm. like when I've been in worse shape or like the last few years, I kind of was in a dip and then came out and like it, I mean, there is a uniquely special sensation of feeling really strong in light yes. on the wall. That's really great. But yes. But that feeling of climbing, feeling hard and trying hard totally does scale. Like it feels kind of the same at 512 or 513 or whatever, wherever you happen to be. It does. And I've seen it. I've, I've watched people climb five, nine, like where they're trying so hard, like that Mm. is their, their red line. And it's like, they're experiencing the same things everyone experiences. Like when we're trying hard, you know, like when you get over that fear of falling, when you feel like you're just pushing through as much as you can. I, that's that's a really unique feeling. I mean, and I don't know many sports that have it. Um, you know, I'm sure there's other like big wave surfing. I'm guessing does that. You know, those those sports where you're really like physically trying something. It's your whole body. Mm. I, that's just oh man, it just it makes me best. smile. Right? Yeah, it's, yeah. It does. It makes you giggle. Like you're <laughs> like, God damn, that is so cool. Yeah. It's yeah. So it's amazing. Yeah. Mm. I'm gonna throw the gratitude question at you. What have you been especially grateful for lately? Oh, just the. I mean, uh, honestly, the opportunities that I've been given, I'm, I am just, I try to never lose sight of those things. I am so grateful and thankful for the the people that support me, um, for Cindy, for my kids, for my family. Um, 
and just like professionally, like the people who have come beside me and supported what I do. And even when it's not traditional, right? Like it's like companies like Arcturex and Evolve and, and you know, saying, we think this is important. Like, mm. let's, let's help you do that. Um, I just, I'm so grateful for that and grateful every day, just like amazed by it where it doesn't feel like they're just doing it like, well, he's the disabled climber. We got to help him. It's like, they're like, oh no, this is fucking rad. Like, what do you, okay, let's do this. Um, yeah. That's really, I just try to never lose sight of how special that is. And, and hopefully I can give that back to and return that to other people mm. in, at the same time. Well, it seems like you do that every day. And, Hopefully. And again, this feels so weird to say, but I couldn't, I really couldn't think of a better person for this to oh, have happened to. You. Thank you. I'm no, so impressed nice. by you. I'm no, so, thank you. I'm so impressed. I, I You're so that. kind and just, I mean, I, I, it's so, I, it's impossible for me to imagine the incessant barking dog, <laughs> you know, and it just doesn't seem like that ever comes through. You don't let it ever affect Maybe you do. I, I'm, right. I'm sure you do. I'm, sh you know, sure, absolutely. behind the scenes, whatever. But, but you're so you're so good at focusing on what's right in front of you and the people that are right in front of you. And yeah, try and to for maintaining sure. that positivity. And it's yeah. just Cindy can tell you stories, absolutely, <laughs> sure. for sure. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that I I think it's important, right? I think it's important to like we we are all struggling with something. Everyone in this world is struggling, so. The sooner we all realize that, I think the better off we're going to mm. be as humans because then you can help each other and, and at least like impact something in a positive way as opposed to just being, you know, just not just bashing through this as an, as much as you can get out of it, right? Like that's kind of a shitty existence. Mm. So I, I feel like, yeah, you know, everybody's suffering. They don't need to hear about your suffering or my suffering or it's just like they're dealing with their own. So let's, mm. let's see what we can do to help each other out and see where that gets us and go from there. That's awesome. That's awesome. We never, you never know either. You no. Know? Like I was talking about, I was parked at the rec center listening to your episode and that's where I've been going and taking showers in Estes. And the other day I walked in there and I tried to chat with the gal at the front desk and she just, you know, she was just kind of reserved and, yeah. and not really giving me much. And I was like, oh, okay, like maybe she's shy or maybe she's just not the most outgoing. It just didn't feel friendly. She just had brain surgery, turns oh, out. Fuck. I found, I found right. out later that exactly. day. Yeah, and she's like having to learn how to become a human again, exactly. you know? And, and it's totally changed her personality. And she's um, she has a close friend that's helping her like come out of her shell. I was just like, oh my wow, God. you just yeah. never know. You don't. And you that's don't. exactly it. <laughs> they might have just gone through the worst experience and you walk through the door <laughs> And you're like, well, that guy's an asshole. Yeah, exactly. Well, you're like, yeah, maybe, maybe not though. Like, maybe his kid has cancer. Exactly. Like, and you exactly. just found out, you have no idea. You don't. And so I think if we can just like, just a little bit of grace goes a long way, mm. right? It's just, just, it's not about me. It's like, I'm just gonna, you know, that person might just be having a bad day. Like whatever, we all have them. So mm. it is what it is. Just let it go. Well, it's a great note to leave people with. I'm, I, I do feel curious. Is there anything that you want to share that we haven't touched on anything that feels important to, to leave people with. Um, no, I mean, it's, this has been so much fun. Um, just, yeah, just listening, listening to just what's being thrown at you and not, and understanding that it's changing, you know, like that was mm. the hardest thing for me was like, it's a fluid situation. Nothing's, nothing's forever. And so good or bad, it's like, you know, the shittiest days I've had weren't forever. The best days I've had weren't forever. Um, there's, it's a mix and it's a, it's a 
fluid, changing environment every day, every minute of every day. And I think once you get a grip on that, you're just a lot happier. Um, you realize, okay, it's going to change. It's like, I'm just going to be present in where I am and just enjoy this or not. And it's going to be different. So just go with it. Yeah. Thank you, Craig. Thank you. That's my pleasure. <laughs> totally my pleasure. You were, this was great. Loved it. Thanks, man. Me too. Love it. Shake it up, stop when the clock hits 13. You've been working, but you're flirting with the weekend. You can freak out. One in a million. You're a gem shine when the light grows dim. See one, one, two, two, three, four. Cuz, cuz, cuz. No one can do it like we do it, like we do it, like we do it. Cuz no one can do it like we do it, like we do it, like we do it. Cuz no one can do it like we do it, like we do it, like we do it. Cuz no one can do it like we do it, like we do it. Like we do it. We got the right so we put the hammer right down. Why be like us?